In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the late night negotiations and the open lines on the True Life podcast. We're here with Paula Powell and Jason. What's up, gentlemen? How's it going? Good evening. Nice. <laughs> or good morning. Oh, I, it's it's morning here. I'm we're in the the deep night. Nice, man. That's when all the good things start happening. Exactly. <laughs> man. So what? You know. I want to throw this little quote out at you guys and see what you guys think about it. It might take me a second here to find it, but as I'm looking for it, I want you guys to think about, okay, I'm still looking. So Jason, what's going, what's going on in your house right now, Jason? Right now, the vibe is set. I've got some uh, French music in the background that's just serenading me, and I'm in a, a comfy robe, just ready to talk about all things uh, that are going on in the universe. Nice. Okay. That's that's my situation. Where are you at, Paul? Paint, paint me your picture. Where? Um. So I'm I'm sitting in my garage with the garage door open because it's raining. Ooh. And um. And then my, you know, everybody in the house is sleeping. So I nice. figured I'd come out here. Nice. I am sitting in my library looking for an amazing quote to get this thing started with right here. <laughs> and uh, I've been reading a lot about this book. It's called uh, Society of the Spectacle. And it just talks about the world in which we live is like this giant spectacle, right? And like everything you see is pulling your attention towards you. And it's almost pornographic in a way, like whether it's the television or whether it's like a blinking sign or whether it's a road sign or whether it's the radio, you know, it's like, it's like the, 
It's the pornographic, uninterrupted presence of the visible. Like there's always something trying to grab your attention. Like you don't even have time to think because there's so much shit trying to grab your attention, man. Yeah. Right? What do you guys think? Yeah. It's, uh, it's like it's a Rage Against the Machine lyric, right? Come and play, come and play. Yeah. Forget about the movement. Mm. Yeah. Well, and I, and I feel like it puts us into this um, victim energy like that we like um it's so hard like there's so much and and so much intensity and i think sometimes like that pornographic nature plays on our our victimhood and the sense of like oh let me just make this easy for you right like at the end of the day like if you really looked at uh, on some senses of like the darker sides of porn which there's all sorts of layers you can look at it there's some beautiful things but the darker edges of it is lazy I don't have to do anything for pleasure. I can just sit here and and not have to. Uh, I can just consume, and I'm you know, I'm not willing to put the resistance that's required to find something that's real, um, which is, you know, what is out there. But the the society and all this energy just puts us into this almost like victimhood slumber mentality that's really hard to break out of. Yeah, I like that. It brings me to this idea. Like, like I think so many of us are like put in this position where we're supposed to consume everything. But consumption is almost the opposite of contemplation. Because when you're consuming something, like you can't really – you don't really think about it, right? Like if you're shoving yeah. food in your face or if you're watching porn or if you're watching television. And it brings me to this idea of beauty. Like think about something beautiful, whether it's your wife, whether it's your husband, whether it's a lover, whether it's a tree, whatever it is. Think about something really beautiful right now. And are you consuming that image? Are you consuming that thing? Or are you contemplating that thing? Mm -hmm. And like I think far too long, especially in today's world, we've gotten to this idea of where we're consuming beauty instead of thinking about beauty. What do you guys think? Yeah. Well, I'm hearing some beautiful French music in the background. <laughs> I was like, are my tunes, am I vibing a little too loud? It's a little loud. It's a little bit loud. It's awesome. But it's a, there you go. All right. Nice. nice. Now we have a little background. What do you, what do you guys think? What, what, Paul, what is your idea of consumption versus contemplation? What's my idea about what? Consumption versus contemplation? When you see when you see something beautiful, do you consume it or do you think about it? Um, I mean, these days I think about it. Um, you know, in my younger days, I would try to consume it, all of it. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, good things were meant to be taken in and you know coveted and um, you know made your own was kind of my mentality. And um, so very much, very much, you know, was in that mindset. I mean, you know, I, but I, I think that's true for a lot of young people. Um, you know, then as I got older, man, it was like, had to, and the things that I now define as beautiful, like I would think it would be beautiful or have been defined differently. Mm -hmm. More, more, more of the simple things in life. And I don't know, it's kind of cliche, but it's true. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I've experienced, you know, big loss in my life. So I, I, uh, you know, I, I tend to appreciate, you know, the, you know, the little things yeah. and then those things, those things are viewed. 
right? You know, whether it's my kids or, you know, what I'm doing at work or, you know, I work with honeybees and, and uh, you know, trees in an orchard. And it's, you know, it's very, those are, those things are, are all moving about us in a subtle way. And um, there's a lot of beauty in, in things that, you know, um, were once in the background or now in the foreground for me. Mm. How old were you, do you think, before you just, like, made that change? Was that something that happened at, like, a certain age? Or, like, what do you think changed for you to start seeing the world that way? Psychedelics. I think we've talked mm -hmm. about this, you know, before, right? It was, yeah. you know, it was, it was a lot of psychedelic experience. And then really, um, you know, kind of changed the way I, I view the world and myself especially. And I think that's. For me, it was like, oh, wow, look at this person, right? Who was, you know, kind of primitive, animalistic type of person living in one of the lower worlds. You know, ha hell, hunger. Mm. You know, um, and, and then, like, really kind of changing that, you know, life trajectory, um, you know, and my, my perception of life at that time to really, like, start changing me. And then what's interesting is that like what psychedelics taught me, it actually was like, it was a roadmap. Like I developed a roadmap mm. to being able to, um, you know, to make those changes still in my life, you know, where people are like, Hey, it's really hard. Like the older you get, the harder it is to make changes. And I, and I, I would say, you know, if you become practice at it, then it's a lot easier. Most people, mm. uh, don't practice it, but that's, that's for me. That's what it was. It was, it was psychedelics coming into my life and the continuation, continuation, continuation of the usage of psychedelics, which is, you know, really, really kind of shaped who I am today. Hmm. Something that I thought was really beautiful in that is, you know, George, that like we can have this weird consumption energy of beauty and you don't you can't really contemplate it so it's this like if you're, you're either consuming it or you're contemplating it and this binary world but i love how you shifted that paul and i thought about you in the you know in the forest with the bees and literally you're consuming the beauty you're consuming the honey that it's creating for you you're consuming the oxygen that the that the trees are giving you so it is beauty can be consumed mm -hmm. while it's being contemplated and we can step out of the binary of either this or that. And it's actually about both. And that's, I love that. That's such a beautiful perspective in what you shared. Yeah, that is nice to think about it. Um, it makes me wonder, like, do you think that you could be in a bad mood when you're surrounded by something beautiful? Yeah. <laughs> can you give me an example of the one time you've been in a bad mood when you're surrounded by something beautiful? Um... Yeah, just like being around Tiffany, my partner. Like she's mm -hmm. freaking beautiful, like gorgeous. And I always tell her she's my muse, she's my art, she's the something that is not meant to be consumed. She is meant to be contemplated. Um, but like that doesn't uh -huh. affect my attitude. <laughs> like I've been in really shitty moods around her beauty. Um and that's where I think it is the eye of the beholder, right? Is really this idea that like it's your inner self that really learns how to sit with beauty, not the not the consumption. 
Yeah. Yeah. So it's like a, it's like a, you know, it's, um, for me, you know, it was, it was a restraint, like developing, you know, that like, Hey, mm. you know, like you can appreciate things can be appreciated from a distance. Mm-hmm. You know, like I don't have to be, you know, um, in such close proximity, whether it's, you know, physically or mentally or, mm-hmm. you know, to, to really like, you know, to be involved with something or somebody, you know, that, that, that distance sometimes is a good thing. It is. It makes me think like, sometimes I'll see like a beautiful young girl. I'm like, that girl's fucking beautiful, but she's like 22. She probably has so much growing up to do. Probably a fucking headache to be around. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like she's beautiful, but it's probably a lot of fucking work to like. And then you start talking to some people sometimes. You're like, oh man, it's so much better when I could just see him as beautiful. <laughs> well, I think it's an interesting play of like. Also, again, you, we were talking about society and this idea of too much, right? And how mm-hmm. it's yes. at us. <laughs> it it puts us in this mode of consumption where we don't have edges and and we don't know boundaries we don't know restraint we don't know this stuff and and i think part of this medicine uh, either whether it's in psychedelics or even breath work or all these different areas is helping us get re-in-touch with the edges <laughs> re-in-touch with that is beautiful and i don't have to fuck it <laughs> <laughs> yeah right that, yeah. that's the that's the shift that's the energy and that's actually taking back my power i'm like i'm not plugged in to where everything says that it's just pure consumption oh beauty fuck beauty this whatever right like no i don't have to consume it i can contemplate it i can have restraint and that restraint is almost been emasculated or demasculated especially in the i think for a lot of men it's like oh if you're restrained there's something wrong with you right like or the old ball and chain of a relationship it's actually no. That's a healthy edge. <laughs> um, that's a, that's a healthy thing to have. And again, you choose uh, what your restraint is. That's your power. But yeah, I don't know. How does that land? No, that's that's good. And and, and you know, what's interesting though, you, you bring up the the topic of masculinity, and um, you know, then it just makes me kind of think about like we probably all have our idea of what masculinity is. And so, yeah. you know, what is, you know, and I, I agree with you 100%, Jason. I think that is part of, you know, of, mm-hmm. of the masculine is exercising restraint, mm-hmm. right? And, um, you know, and having self-control. And I think when you surrender that self-control, you know, then yeah. you're, 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 surrender, you're surrendering, whether it's, you know, with your words, you know, if you're, your temper or you know, your lusts in life, you know, mm-hmm. that, and then, um, you know, you're, you are, you're given that, you're given a part of that away. Yeah. Can you surrender to your own power? Hmm. Does that mean question for the masculine? Does that mean like not giving way to your emotions, like being more stoic? I, like, I, I kind of feel as like a mm-hmm. father and as a husband, like I'm the last line of defense when it comes to that. Like, because I think that my wife's going to be emotional. My child's definitely going to be emotional. But as the man of the family, like your job is to have restraint, whether it's not punching somebody or, you know, 
backing down when things get too crazy or understanding the environment you're in. On one little side note, a trick that I have found in life is that if you're in a relationship and you find yourself like, let's say that you're out with your wife or your girlfriend, I have learned that only one person can be upset. And what I mean by that is like, let's say you go to dinner and like your, your wife goes, oh my God, this waiter right here. Can you believe what he did? And you're like, what did he do? Oh, well, he like came over and he like, he like touched my arm. And then, and then you as the man go, you know what? I'm gonna punch that guy in the face. And your wife <laughs> be like, hey, just calm down. Just calm down. Like she'll go from being the emotional one to the calmer down one. And so no matter where you are in a relationship, if you just overstep, then the other person changes their role. I read a book called Games People Play. And it's really interesting how people fit into a role. And when you're in a relationship or when you're in a meeting or whenever you're around a group of people, you're playing a position. And only one person can play the position of the leader at a time. Mm -hmm. So if you step up and you start playing the leader, everyone will be subordinate to you. You might get challenged, but in an event where things are where things are kind of hot, if you're the first person to act and you can take the lead, then you'll be looked at as the leader. The same way if you if you step back and start asking like, you know, you kind of put yourself down and you're going to play the role of the person who is not the leader. But it's interesting to think about it as games. It's interesting to think if if who you are is just a game and all you have to do is play a character. So what I what I feel like I hear in that is, you know, again, so if we played this game of masculinity out a little bit and you were talking about like being the last line of defense and, and holding restraint of yourself, I think the the way I look at that is actually I take the leadership and setting the boundaries of what's appropriate. And, and that might mean emotion, the emotions that I bring up, there's definitely appropriate emotions. So if there are, if there's grief and those around me are crying, I'm going to enter into that emotion with them because that's appropriate. Whatever happened is sad and desires and is worthy of grief. And I, they need to see me grieving as well. It depends on what it is, though, right? Like, well, I mean, right. if you're if they're crying because someone got hit, you're probably not going to start crying with them. Well, like, because maybe that's that's not appropriate. Okay, I see what you're saying. So, right, if, if so, it's appropriate for the situation, yeah. Like, so let's say my kids have a lizard, right, okay. and this lizard dies, and they're really sad about the lizard. I'm not going to shed a tear over that fucking lizard, <laughs> right? I'm not going to. I will be the defense, life and death, children. Grab a bag, throw it away, like move on, right? Like I'm not stepping into that. But there's a death in the family. Hell yeah. Like they're going to see me come undone because that's appropriate. It's appropriate that my emotions would be responding to the situation that way. And that's what it means to lead is to lead into the appropriate energies and to, that masculine energy. So it's about being able to understand what is appropriate. And if we start with our, what's appropriate for ourselves, meaning we're in tune with our own emotions and so is it appropriate for me to fly off the handle because the waiter touched my wife's arm? Fuck no, that's not appropriate. Fuck that guy. Move on. <laughs> like, so that's not what, appropriate. Like, what, what, what do you mean you'd come undone? Like, is that the right thing to do is to come undone? And like, what, what do you, like, can you define it, that? Like, say someone in your family dies. Like, what, right. what does that talk, mean? Like, like so, what are you going to do in front of your kids? Are you going to start crying? Or like, you, I mean, dude, what does that if, mean? If, if my, so if Tiffany died, and my child, like my children, would see me at the depths of grief, tears. I don't know what fucking happens in that depth, but like it ain't pretty, and they need to see it. 
because it becomes the roadmap to life that death is part of everything. And if you can't see me at my worst as a man, you can't see me when I'm like really in the depths of pain, then, you know, what am I showing you? Because you're going to have those feelings and experiences in life. So let me give you a roadmap. That's what I want for my children. Like, that's why I would have no problem letting them see me come on because they're going to see me rebuild as well. Right. <laughs> they're going to see what comes after that. But yeah, I would, I would lose my shit in front of my children. Well, I mean, you, think you know, gr grief is the first step in healing, right? Right. Mm. And so I don't like, know, man, that's... maybe denial. I mean, maybe denial is the first stage in healing. Yeah. Well, did not, I mean, it's part of the, it's part of the cycle, right? For sure. Hmm. But I was thinking about, I, I recently watched um, uh, The NeverEnding Story. Great, with, great one. And, and I'd never seen it before. And you want to talk about this idea of grief and a father losing his wife and basically telling his son, like, chin up, dude. Suck up. No emotions. Like, get your shit together. Your mother is gone. Move on. This shit, that's harsh. Like, watch the intro to that movie. <laughs> it's harsh. I don't know about that kind of grief. Of, I think we get we got a kind of really sick picture of masculinity. We were told that's what it that's what you do. Chin up. And what's that story about? The boy learning about death. The great darkness, right? He has to become friends with death. It's such a, a fucking movie's profound. <laughs> yeah, it's one for anyway. the ages for sure. Yeah, it's from like yeah. the eighties. Yeah, I remember the Rock Eater. Like they big, like big, strong yeah. hands, don't they? <laughs> yeah, that was a uh, crazy one. What do you think about this idea? Like, you know what? Like when I look at the world today, like I see the return of masculinity. Like when you see like Andrew Tate coming onto the scene, and you see like um, it seems like there's this return of the masculine coming back in full effect, and it. You know, it's slow at first, but I, I think what you're seeing is this return of the man to the head of the family. Like, I, in my opinion, I think in the next 10 to 15 years, you're going to see a, a turn away from like women's lib from I think you're going to see I think you're going to see a lot of like homosexuals go back in the closet. I think you're going to see a lot of a lot of more very difficult times happen. And I'm, I'm saying that based on what I see on the fringes of society right now. Like mm. if you look at, if you look at how many views, like people like Andrew Tate and there was, there's just like, it just seems like more masculinity is coming back. And when there's weak leadership, like it opens the door for that. What do you guys think? Like there's for the last 20 years, there's been like a lot of women that have returned to the workforce. And it was like this idea of equality, but I think equality is bullshit. I don't think any of us are born equal. And when we try to lie to ourselves and say everybody's equal, like we just open the doors to a giant shit show. And that's a big part of what's happening right now. What's mm. your take on that? I mean, again, it's like, how do you define masculinity? You know, I mean, it, it, is, is Andrew Tate your idea of a masculine person? I think he has... I think he has more masculine traits than feminine traits, but maybe we should try to identify what masculinity is. Cause my, my well, argument shouldn't be based on him, but you, you guys want to try to do that? Like get some, get well, some I mean, definitions so out there. Me, like, 
it's like to me like there's there's a big flaw with Andrew's Andrew Tate's you know his own you know vision of himself and masculinity and that he's very insecure mm. so try this one on okay your masculinity is defined by your relationship with your cock <laughs> and okay listen in and and so like really if you want to know what it means to be a man and where you're like what your masculinity is you have to pay attention to your life force you have to pay attention to the thing that is sometimes leading you that's a, a, an impulse an intuition and trusting it and trusting your cock and trusting that it's going to show up for you in ways that are going to to truly be masculine and so when I look at the, the there is going to be a, a rise of, of masculinity. And, and I think a lot of it is a lot of dudes are disconnected from their cocks. Um, I've been watching some TV and there's this commercial that keeps popping up for uh, this brand called Hems. And, uh, and this is a serious hot take. I'm probably going to offend some people with this. But anyways, um, so like they're normalizing fucking Viagra for 30 year olds mm. and young men having erectile dysfunction. And that tells me there's a fucking generation of dudes that do not have a relationship to their cock outside of a pill. And that's not, you're not living, you're not living in your masculine. And so there's, so there's going to be this like revolt from that. And it's going to get grotesque and you're going to get these weird caricatures like an Andrew Tate and the, these weird little things. But I trust that there will be this wisdom, the wisdom of the masculine will come back. And we will begin to lead with the feminine and we will begin the dance of this beautiful partnership that is both masculine and feminine. And that's where the real men are going to be, not the caricatures and for sure not the dudes that are taking tiny blue pills to fuck. Yeah, it's, it almost <laughs> seems like that's, that's my hot take, but <laughs> it's good. I, I kind of see it as a return to the family, right? Because every family... Buddhist in the world just turned their back to you. Every Buddhist? Yeah. Why? I, that's not where people that, you know, I mean, especially for men, it's like your cock. That's not where you de derive strength from. Right? Oh, right. I'll be right back. You guys carry on. So I'm curious, Paul, what would be the where if it's not our cock, where would we drive our strength from? Our minds or like how would we look at that differently? Our vibrations and connections to the universe. And that's not going to happen through the root chakra of like our balls? The root chakra of our balls, he said. Um, I mean, I guess it, it depends. Like I said, you know, like you got to define masculine. Yeah. Like everybody has their own idea of what masculine is. Mm. You know, I'm sure you might have had a, a number of ideas of what masculine is throughout your life. Totally. Right. Like, like, what was your idea of masculine when you were 18 years old? Right. So what, what, what do you think it was? Oh, it was it was like, well, it was really confused. I honestly, I didn't really have a clear picture of what it meant to be a man. I was I didn't I didn't really know. And and and, and I don't you're not alone as an 18 year old young man, like you're in the majority. Yeah. Right. But, but I, did you look up to anybody who you thought, wow, you know, like the John Wayne types or the, you know what I mean? Or, you, you know, the, the Al Bundy types. The, the, so the people that I would always was attracted to <laughs> were the thinkers. So I will, the masculine that I felt a, a draw to in my youth were like 
the people that were um yeah they they thought it wasn't ever like a a lot of masculine energy it was just like they were great thinkers um so they didn't they didn't emit a lot of that masculine energy like a john wayne or you know some sort of caricature of the man it was yeah. more like um i i like the yeah certain men that i felt a draw to were, were thinkers and so were these men part of your family um no actually none of them were these are all mentors and friends that i found either through like my relationship with the church or just through friendship so how would you i'm sorry or oh yeah no worries george go ahead i was just gonna say it's odd to me when you said they weren't in your family what about your dad how's your relationship with your dad you you know it's interesting like we didn't have a lot of um I would say like a lot of masculine exchanges. He didn't, he didn't really teach me. He taught me what he could about what it meant to be a man. But I think as I look back and what I now know, there was a lot that didn't get transmuted or trans trans like put out there. Like, Hey, this is how we deal this situation. This is how you handle this situation. And again, the reason I kind of keep bringing it back to like cock energy is again, it's, I believe like integrating ourselves, right? Like we have our minds and our masculine, there's deep strength in our minds and there's deep strength in our bodies. But I don't know. I just find that like that relationship to the thing that um, we sometimes don't have control over. <laughs> it does. It has its own mind at times. Uh, this thing that both emits strength and hardness and softness and like, relaxing like it's a both there's a yin and a yang to it it's never just one always it's important there's a lot of stuff we can learn from that so why would i not think about my relationship with it why would i shame it or why would i be like ew that's like i can't learn something about my masculinity through my cock well because now you're you're dwelling in one of the three lowest worlds which is the world of animality well and that's an edge right don't we need like to have like to find pleasure, don't we also need to understand the underworld and the the dark? There's 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 understanding in it, understanding it, and then there's participating in it, which are two totally different things. Totally, I agree. And dude, I've had bad cock energy. <laughs> I've participated, like you know, like there's. And that's why I think it's important that you you will never have perfection. Right. We'll never like in our path to enlightenment, it's, it's never about this idea of perfection. It's about integrating the shadow. It's about understanding like it can be a really dangerous place for me to go play. Yeah. If I'm not conscious. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, as, as we evolve as a species, right, that we are moving away from those lower worlds as much as we can. Of course, we experience you know, all 10 of the worlds at every moment, at every time of day. But it's about being able to find, you know, the higher worlds while you're trying to escape the lower the lower worlds or while you're currently existing in the lower worlds. Mm-hmm. And the world of animality is not a good place to be. And understanding it is one thing, participating in it is another. And I think, you know, I think that... Mm. So when we talk about masculinity, right? To me, I, I I see I you know I think we just could probably see it in a little bit different way, which is fine. But mm. well, um, 
it's really interesting because it's this idea like i'm like as i so when i think about the energy of you know kind of again we think about like the root and the the lower levels and and again if we think about our sexuality or, or our bodies in that way you know yeah like our you, your balls are, are are great a great teacher but they're not where maybe you live you know <laughs> like you shouldn't just live in your balls um that's that's a dangerous place and that there's a lot of darkness is when you're living down there um but you have to understand it to then be able to integrate it into your heart and your mind and your soul and your in your strength and when you can integrate it that's a beautiful man regardless of their sexuality or whatever that is a beautifully masculine man and that's what i mean by like understanding or yeah understanding your cocks and ball and like how all of it's in play right i don't know is george how does that land so it brings up a, an interesting point for me as you guys were talking and we talk about you know moving through the different worlds and moving through the different times like i begin thinking about my journey as a man and like the older you get like the lower your testosterone drops right and you know i think especially in the united states like we're super sexified like there's just porn everywhere like on every magazine on soup cans like it's everywhere in front of you and you know i wonder that as we get older like maybe you know th th there's a reason there's a reason our body is the way it is and when you get older your testosterone drops and you think differently like you're not you know imagine five guys sitting at a table and the smoking hot chick walks through you know the guys that are 50 are gonna be like wow that girl's beautiful and the guy that's 20 is like, I'm going to go get her phone number. You know, like that testosterone that runs through your body, whether you call it cock energy or whether you call it testosterone or whether you call it it being younger or you call the older man an old man, like there's something happening throughout your life that changes, mm. you know, and I, I but, you know, yeah, go so ahead. There's, there's a myth there, dude. I want to challenge okay. that a little bit. Please. That as men, I think we've been sold this myth that our testosterone drops. Okay. And that we, we can't perform. We can't stay hard. We are, are, and, and, and I think, again, this is part of this myth of taking away the masculine energy. Cause you want to know what's mm. really powerful are fucking old men that are masculine who have wisdom that have testosterone, but they've integrated say, it. I was going to say that. I was just going to say that. Like the what part this wisdom play and all of that. Yeah. And so there's a there, we have to learn to, to a wisdom in our testosterone, not to sh mm. to shame it or push it down, or to say that it's not welcome in my body anymore. To say no, I'm wise. So God, that twenty year old still gets me hard, but I'm not going to fuck her because that's not wise. <laughs> it's a good point. It's a good point. Do you think that there's a like? I can feel a difference. Like if I have a lot of sex versus not having sex for like months at a time, like I can feel a difference in my body. Yeah. You know, and like, I feel like I can concentrate. It, it's interesting because sometimes like right after sex, I feel like, oh, yeah. But sometimes like if I if I have sex, maybe, I don't know, twice a week, then like I, I kind of lose my my drive a little bit. Like I feel like there is more drive if you sustain from sex. And maybe that gives credence to pe like perf like performers like boxers or you always hear stories about people that don't have sex before a big game. Like, I think there's something to be said about the energy that goes into sex and goes into the performance of your life, and they can be straddled. They, 
you know, I, I think it's wise to understand the relationship between sex and performance in your life and sex and your family. You know, it's important to have a valuable ongoing sexual relationship in your marriage. But if, if you don't go through spells where you don't have sex in your marriage, then you're fucking lying to me because that shit, you get in trouble all the time. You know what I mean? But like, I think that there's, I think that there should be more about that. I think we should understand that, you know, and I, I don't know. I think there's something there, but I do think as you do get older, I, I think that there is a decrease in testosterone. And you know what? Nowadays you see people getting like, um, I see guys that are in their sixties that look jacked because they're getting TRT. Like I want to get TRT. Like I, I think that it, it helps your body stay young and it helps you be more active. But I, I don't, I don't know. Is there, is there a reason why is, are you just getting old and you don't need testosterone or is it something that if you keep it in your body, you're going to be better and healthier and it's good for you longer. I kind of so think the matter. So my partner is, you know, a naturopathic uh, doctor. And so we talk a lot about like testosterone and testosterone production and what's normal and what, you know, kind of, again, normal Western medicine and versus maybe some more deeper understandings. And again, I am only learning this stuff through her. So I'm by no means an expert, but she continues to paint a picture of the fact that like as men, we should be sustaining a like moderate to high level of testosterone. Um, and that's very, like very normal. But again, it's interesting when you look at society, what damages our testosterone and what, what limits our ability to produce it. And so much of it is our diet and exercise. And you look at the last like hundred years and what has, the the powers that be done they fucked with our diet and our exercise True. and right now everybody's freaking out about overpopulation because we hit this eight billion mark but like we have a serious underpopulation like we're not sustaining population and there's there's gonna be a massive drop-off and testosterone levels in men are at a fucking low right now okay and why why do you think that is because men, I think it's been our diets and exercise. And I think men like. And jacking it, off too much, probably. I don't, maybe. I, there's some, <laughs> but like, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't want to shame what someone does, right? Like, I'm not shaming I, it. I'm just saying, like, I think, the, I think today, I bet you men are jacking off 10 times more than they were 20 years ago. Well, again, that's it's the consumerism. So pro yeah, again, right? absolutely. Absolutely. That's consumerism. So and that's, you could say it's diet. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you're, if you're consuming that stuff. Yeah. So and that's true, man. We have what? sorry, the only other point I just want to make was like there's so much infertility going on right now, and so many couples can't have babies. And there's so many women that are being shamed that they're the reason. And like honestly, the the numbers, like the data, like we don't it hasn't been studied enough, but like you're we're gonna be shocked by how often it's the men. It's our fault women aren't having babies because our testosterone levels have dropped and we're not producing semen. The fucking, we don't have the swimmers like we once did. And like, it's the dudes, the dudes have to fix their fucking relationship to their cocks to start making babies. Like that's the shit I'm telling you, like it's messed up. And it's a, how do you control society as you take that life force away? Sounds like yeah. men got to change their relationships to their grocery stores. Absolutely. <laughs> 
How about to their life, man? To everything. That's what I'm trying to like. That's what I mean. Like when I say like how you live your life is through your cock. Like it's about it all. Like how are you showing up? Can you look at yourself in the mirror and be like, I'm proud of you? Yeah. <laughs> Good choice. Right. That's what I aspire yeah. to. But I would argue a lot of men can't look themselves in the mirror and be like, I'm proud of you. And I would argue that a lot of like masculine men don't need reassurance. No, you're right. Well, what do you mean by reassurance? Like the looking in the mirror and like, yeah, you're doing a good job, buddy. But what about that? I don't mean like a, I don't, I mean like a soul check-in looking in the mirror. Right. right. Yeah. Is that self-assurance or is that just like integrity? It might just be confidence. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, like, you know, like, I don't know where the whole pep talk thing comes into play for masculinity, you know, <laughs> like some of the most my... masculine, like, you know, like when I, like, you know, I, I have some friends that, you know, you consider pretty masculine. I don't think they're doing that. They, they're, you know, these are also guys that kind of live life unapologetically as well. Right. Know? Yeah. I, I, I think that there's a, uh, is there a line between like, someone like it, it i don't know if it's too masculine or if you're just being a dick or like it, there's got to be a line there though right like I, can we try to break down like i'm sure we'll all have different ideas of what masculinity is but like if you could define it what were some of the characteristics that you would say are masculine like, i don't me know five I'm sorry. Go well, ahead. I, I don't. I don't know if you can define it, George. I think you see, like when you're younger, you like you know. I was asking Jason about like you know, like he looked at intellectuals as kind of you know the um, you know, it's maybe people that he looked up to and wanted okay. to be like. Okay. Well, let's look at that. As, he, it's not that he saw intellectuals. It's that he saw competence. He saw confidence. He saw something that he was drawn to. And it may be they were intellectuals, but it's beyond that. It's a feeling mm -hmm. of control that he saw there. That is masculinity. A young man seeing an older man in control. So I would put control as a factor in masculinity. I would see respect. Mm -hmm. I would see strength. I would see discernment. Like these are masculine qualities and these don't have overreaching qualities that are something that, you know, are, are in, it's the opposite of insecurity. Insecurity is not masculine. Security is masculine. So I think we can narrow it down to some words like that. And then we could work from those definitions. What do you think? I, you know, I mean, I mean, as an exercise, but I think there's, you know, we, I think we all see, you know, things a little differently. Um, you know, you, you brought up Andrew Tate and I would say there's somebody that's <laughs> trying to be masculine. I'm not saying that right. he isn't, but this hyper masculinity, you know, a, a lot of it is a show, right? Sure. So I'm, I'm curious about that, Paul, cause there's, I feel like there's like these things we may disagree on. What, uh, what's in, what's something that might feel like a contention point around what is masculine? Say that again. Like you're saying, like we all kind of define masculine differently. So I'm curious, like what's something that you feel is masculine that maybe I don't know George or I might disagree with. 
I mean, I would have to probably give you my definition of masculinity. All right, let's hear so, it. Yeah, I think that's what that's what we want to hear. <laughs> well, okay, so it's, I guess it's really not something that I've I've actually thought about, right? Mm. But it's something that, like, you know, like porn, you know it when you see it. <laughs> I know, right? And, and nice so, side. you know, I kind of think, like, throughout my life, you know, there's... You know, there I've I've seen people that you know I thought, you know, were maybe somebody who I'd like to grow up to be like, right? You know, um, and different characters and in different men that are in my world. You know, I always tell I tell people like my kids, like some of like the, you know, one of the most important men to me in my life was my my best friend's stepdad, mm-hmm. and you know, so let me just let me tell you about him. Right. This is a guy who got up and, you know, he went to work every day. He, you know, provided for his family. This man never complained. Um, you know, he, you know, even though he was like a construction worker type, he, not, he wasn't like that. That's what he was. Um, you know, East Coast Italian. Um, he, uh, you know, he always made time for his kids, which actually weren't his blood kids. I always had a tremendous amount of respect for that. Um, you know, he, um, his, you know, he, he was unfazed by, you know, my best friend's mother who was, you know, let's, let's say she was eccentric. Um, you know, he, he never, you know, he he was a man of few words and when he had something to say, you, you know, you, you definitely listened. Um, you know, I mean, I, I would start there. I mean, that's when when I when I think about and and I you know I quote him often. Um, you know, he was a real self aware man. Mm. Um, you know, um, so what's then, something he taught you that you like carry on that you? Oh man, the grass is never greener. Mm. That's so he was he was dying of of um, lung cancer, and I was back in San Diego visiting some family, and I and I knew he was sick, and so I. And my friend had moved, um, you know, to the East Coast. He, he, he met a woman, fell in love, moved to the East Coast. And so, you know, I was back visiting my parents who live in San Diego. And, um, and and I knew he was sick. And I always made it a point to stop by and see him. And I went up there one day and he was in his backyard, right? He's, he was 80 years old. And he had was wheeling around this oxygen tank and a chainsaw. <laughs> That's so awesome. <laughs> and he was chopping down these trees because he knew like his days were numbered. And when he was gone, that my friend's mom wouldn't do anything about these, you know, obstacles, these hazards in their yard. Huh. And, you know, and I, I'd been witness to this man's life for, you know, for at the time I was last time I saw him, I was 39 years old. He died, you know, a month after I saw him. Um, and so you know, you know, I'd I'd been witness to a, a big piece of his life, and um, you know, when he says to me, he's like, you know, you know, Paul, let me tell you something. He's like, you you've witnessed, uh, you know, me and my wife over the years and the things that we've been through, and and um, I'm gonna tell you that, you know, I used to think the grass was greener. You know, I used to think that I would find happiness in somebody else, right? That I could leave this relationship. And I could go get involved in another relationship and that would be great. That would solve problems. And what I realized was 
is that all of these issues were inside of me. Mm. I was the one who was in control of what my relationship was like with, you know, I won't say his name, but your best friend's mother. And it wasn't until very late in life that I actually realized that I could, I could affect change in my own relationship. And that was a powerful thing for me, mm. right? Because I was like, wow. You know, then, and then, so that's a very Buddhist concept, right? Mm -hmm. And, and so I was just like, wow, this man's like, so here we go. There's a man who had a, a rocky marriage and, but yet was like, I'm, I, and this is what I was talking to you about, George, right? And, and like, you know, like suffering or whatever you want to call it, carrying the burden. This is the man who accepted total responsibility for the failures in his marriage. Hmm. No finger pointing, no blaming. And my friend's mom had her issues too, right? Mm -hmm. And, but this was the guy that was like, nope, you know, this is on me. I could have done something about it a long time ago. So, to me, that's, that's a man, right? So two, two things I hear in that. One is masculinity is consistent. And... And it's the long game, right? A consistency over over a lifetime, if you will. And there's something really that's powerful in the masculine when it's consistent. And then the other piece of um, own your shit. Like to be a ma masculine energy is like own your shit. Not just his shit. He was owning the shit of his family. Right. But, but by like, but he, because he's, he realized he caused that, right? Like he owned a shit. Like the reason this looks this way is because I wasn't showing up or whatever. Right. Like, and, well, and realizing, showed up like, for sure. What's that? I think he showed up. Well, but when you're like, he, right. He showed, he owned it. He was like, Hey, this is, this is not easy, but I'm here. I'm showing up. Right. And that's, again, that's the, like, I'm not running away from my problems in the masculine like i own i own the problems i own their problems because i would my add, problem i would add this i would say that like listening to that and thinking about my life and other people's life i would say that masculinity is beginning to love the suffering that is thrust upon you and what i mean by that is like as a man like you are you are going to get all this not all of it but you're going to get a lot of shit that doesn't belong to you and that's part of being a man that's part of being masculine is understanding that you have to take on the burden regardless of how heavy it is, regardless of what comes your way, regardless of how unfair it is. And you know what? You should learn to love it. You should learn to understand that that unwanted burden that's thrust upon you is something that you carry and you're proud to carry with you. You may not love it. It may be heavy. But at the end of the day, when everyone's asleep or when everyone's doing their own thing, you can set that down for a minute and look where you carried it from and be like, fuck, I took that shit the whole time and I'm still standing. I took it the whole time and I'm smiling. I took this fucking baggage and you know what? I'm proud of it. And you know what? There's nothing, no one can take it away from me. Give me your, put your, put the weight on me. I'll carry it. Mm. And I think that well, that is something that the women, the kids around you see, whether it's with Paul, either the guy you explained, or I had an uncle that did it. And I see men that do it. I see men that have, Maybe kids with, you know, uh, that are disabled or I see 
men that have problems in their life and they're, they're they just take it and they're happy and they deal with it and they don't complain about it. And like I think that that is the part of masculinity that's been missing for so long. I think too many kids, even though they may have a father, they don't have a masculine father that's just willing to say, hey, put, put it all on me. I got it. Let me show you how to carry this. Yeah. You know, there's something to be said about that. That's being a man for, you yeah. know, for your family. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's, it's the willingness to, you know, endure, endure pain and suffering and being uncomfortable, you know, at times. I mean, anybody who's raised kids will, you know, knows that, you know, it's challenging, you know, being in a, in a long-term relationship with a woman is challenging and, you know, and taking all of these things because, you know, everybody has their own lives and there's multiple dynamics happening under a roof in a household. And, you know, and it's a man's job is to, you know, is to carry the weight. And I'm not, you know, not, I'm, I'm not just talking, I'm not talking about like financially, although some people would say that that's part of it as well, but but like emotionally and, um, you know, and then being there to lend guidance and, um, and wisdom when it comes to them, because sometimes I, I know some, I have some friends that are my age that have kids that are not wise. And, uh, so that, that's a whole nother problem, but, um, I it's interesting because what I, what what I think is you, we were talking about like this uh, again suffering and and resistance right right and and I think it's why we are seeing I don't know if you guys see this in your world but like a lot of the spiritual uh, stuff right the Aubrey Marcuses Wim Hof all these people you know the the whole cold therapy uh, thing is like really catching a lot of men right. And it's interesting because I feel like it becomes this part of what you're talking about, our masculinity, where we learn resistance. We learn how to sit in the cold. We learn how to be uncomfortable. We learn how to suffer. And this is a lesson that like the last generation didn't get. And I think that's why so many millennials and guys like in their mid thirties are like totally into this stuff right now is because like we weren't given resistance right everybody wins everybody gets the trophy like that was the we've we've been we grew up in society that fucking we're we are byproducts of the internet right like all this stuff and it to to the masculine does need resistance the masculine needs to learn how to hold resistance and and hold that suffering and, and create that that space for their family to you know, it's almost like the, I think about like the, our nervous system, right? And, and when we're grounded, when everyone else's emotions are all over the place and, and they're going through their thing, we become the grounding energy. And it's like, come in. Yes, I'll hold, I hold space for you right now. Like, I got you. I got, I can hold that for you. You're good. I got you. You know, that's, that's what it means to be a man. That's what it means to be a father and, and a spouse, you know, like, I got you. Uh, I'll hold that. I can take that on because I'm doing my work, right? I'm, I'm secure in my masculinity. I'm, I have resistance. I got in the fucking cold plunge today and I do this thing that was uncomfortable. And that's where I think exercise and diet and some of the shit is really important to the masculine process is built in resistance. I don't, I don't think built in, like, like, I think all those things are good to train, but I don't think there's enough fighting. Like, 
like I think it's good to <clears throat> to exercise hard, but I don't think enough men today do things that are masculine. Like, you know, there's okay. So what's that? Do things. What is a what would be a masculine? Doing? Okay, a masculine thing would be to sit in the office with your boss and your boss's boss and tell them to fuck off. <laughs> yeah, totally. right. Like to be in a position where you don't have a real good chance to win, but you do it anyway. And got in the consequences, like you think about the consequences and you're like, I think I can, I think I can win this, but to put well, yourself in situations like that, you know, like maybe, maybe not to compromise your family, but in the, I'm just saying to be in a position where you have to fight so you can challenge your body all you want and you can push it up hills and you can do things. But you should be in a situation where you're a little scared about taking a physical beating of some kind and go through with it anyway. What do you think? So, I mean, uh, I'm hearing like, so to be courageous. I think courage is a big part of it. What's the difference between courage and bravery? <sighs> courage and bravery. I think courage is something that you can do in front of people and bravery is something you do alone. Courage requires thought. Mm. Learned that from a stripper. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, I, it's pretty courageous to sleep with a dirty stripper. I didn't sleep with a dirty stripper, but... <laughs> I was in a strip club with a, you know, there was a stripper in there that was like graduated from like Yale or some shit was talking. And anyways, anyways, that's what she said. And I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, I've learned something from a stripper today. Cool. You're right. Here's, 20. Here's a 20. <laughs> I was thinking like courage to me feels like something that you do for others. And bravery is something you do for yourself. Like courage, right? You think about courage as like I was like in, in a courageous moment, you you step, you sacrifice the self and you did something courageous and you put yourself on the line. And and that that requires us an element of bravery, but I think sometimes you can be brave for yourself, right? Like I'm brave and I'm doing this for me. So and you need both. Um, but yeah, I feel like bravery is for you and courage is for others. What is standing think, uh, up for yourself? Is that courage or is that brave? It depends on the moment. Yeah, it could be both. Uh, yeah, depends. I think bravery is more reactionary. Mm, yeah. Know, people that just like run into a burning building without any thought those people were brave. The guy who stands outside and knows what's going to happen to him for running in that that building and decides to do it anyways that's courageous yeah that's mm. yep that's a great way of saying it hmm that is a good way to say it but I, but i know what you mean george right like yeah i mean definitely being a man you know or, or you know being masculine does involve courage right i mean those are yeah that's one of the to me that's one of the highest qualities Right. It's it's being able I think you alluded to this the other day when you were giving us your you know, your presentation about dad balls, right? Jason, you were kind yeah. of were saying that. Like 
It's like showing up for your kids and making decisions that are tough, yeah. right? And well, some of the, sometimes those decisions are courageous, you know, however many, you know, however small they may be. Yeah. You know, but if there's a negative consequence, you know, or a possible negative consequence, the decisions that you're making for your family, you know, and these are things that are, comp you know, um, contemplated amongst men, right? Yeah. And then, you know, and then you make decisions and, you know, there's, there's definitely a level of, of courage in all of the decisions that we make. I think that, you know, there, I think there's something to be said about masculinity that you, you emanate, like people that are masculine have a presence about them. Like I can see some people and be like, okay, that guy's a little bit dangerous. I can fucking tell by talking to him or I can look at him. You know, I mean, he may not be like, I think as a man, I, I know I can, I, I can look at someone and I'm sure you guys can too. It's like, dude, okay. This person has something about them. This person fucking knows something. This person is weak. You may not be absolutely right every time with your judgment, but you can get a feel. And I mean, like, there's a literal feeling you get sometimes by being in the presence of someone else. Like, I don't know if it's their aura or I don't know if it's their attitude, but it's more, it's something you can feel. Do you guys think? <laughs> well, I'll, dude, I'll, sorry. I don't mean to keep yeah. bringing this back to our cocks, but. Yeah. They talk about like small dick energy, right? Like again, are you comfortable? Like, are you comfortable with your masculinity? Do you own it? Do you admit it? And it has nothing to do with fucking the size or whatever. It's about how you own your energy, and that I think is what is the masculine. And insecurities and guys that try to position or like, you know, like they try to puff themselves up. Like that's the that to me is like ugly masculinity because it's fucking insecure it's not and, really masculine right i don't know what yeah no, say, yeah for sure you know i mean you're right about that jason so when i when i look at masculine and like i like again sometimes it's like am i judging myself against their style of masculine right like like this dude that like the, you know the guy that's got he's fucking cut and like has you know all the babes and whatever and i'm like is that my standard of masculine um because really what's masculine about that is his energy there's nothing to do with what he looks like or whatever it's his energy and that energy pulls this stuff and it's again learning how to own your energy is where you'll find your masculinity and then it will it will begin to call things around you and that could look and, you know, that can look a lot of different ways. Uh, like, and I think to Paul's point, that's why it's hard to define is because it's not always going to show up in a heterosexual context, right? Some of the most masculine men I know are gay. And so what is that, right? Like, how do you think about masculinity in that way? And how do you think about masculinity in different cultures? Like, we have to be willing. But again, it's owner. You own your energy. That's what, to me, is the most important foundation yeah 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 i agree can you talk about some of the masculine gay guys you know yeah what do you want to know it just seems like i, I, mean, I see what you're saying but like I, I that's an interesting concept right like most people when you think of someone gay do you think it's like i'm not saying that there aren't masculine gay people right when you think of someone gay do you automatically think of someone masculine well, I mean, if you want to play, 
<laughs> it's a fair question, right? <laughs> yeah. So you know what I think is something I've been learning from my my gay friends and How to... that's really important. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was gonna fucking. I was gonna tell you what I thought you were learning, but go ahead. Oh, <laughs> is again. It's about owning. Like, how do you own your own masculinity, right? Like, and it. You know, like, is it is it gay to find yourself sexy, right? Is it gay to think your cock looks great? No, that's self love. You should be able to step into that energy, and I think that's what a lot of men, especially heterosexual men, do not know how to handle. Because they think, oh, if I think this, then am, am I gay? Like, no, it's your fucking body. Why would you be ashamed of it? And I don't. You think you think guys that that are that are afraid of their body. Like, I, I don't. I don't know if you. I don't see how that would be construed as gay. Well, I think a lot of men struggle with that. You think a lot of men look at their body and think it's gay to look at their body? No, if they love, if you if you talk to a guy like, hey, what do you love about your cock? He would think that was gay. Yeah. All right. Is that is that a fair assumption? I don't know. I've I've never. I don't know to be honest with you. Like I I <laughs> I fucking look at mine all the time, man. Right. But I, you know I I got a good but, relationship with my body. I I don't know. But I would say in heterosexual contexts, for a lot of men, they don't they don't know how to have that conversation. And when I talk, to, you know, when I I engage my my friends that are gay and I ask about their masculinity, you know, it's interesting to see how they, they can integrate their bodies and they can understand pleasure. And, um, there's a lot to learn about masculinity. There is, and I agree. there's a lot to learn from them about an understanding of both, you know, sexually giving and receiving. And I don't, there's just, there's a lot of masculine energy there. And I think to think that it's feminine is actually a disservice to the, the relationship is two men and the masculine love that can be shared. There's something beautiful in that. And there's something that I think all men can learn, uh, the capacity to, to hold friendship and deep love for another man. It's a beautiful thing. You, you kind of say that as if they're choosing to be that way. Um, they're choosing to their, their love experience. I think they're gay. I mean, that is their experience. That's not what, like, I can learn from their experience not that i'm saying they're choosing that that is that is how they experience love that is how they experience masculinity so i can learn something from that not that it's their choice to do that it's just their life that's their life that's who they are okay i'm gonna i'm gonna throw this out here and i'm just gonna see what you guys think i think this will make for an interesting conversation how many boys like if, if we how many young boys get molested and out of those young boys that get molested, how many of those young boys get molested by men? What do you guys think? Oh, the majority. Okay, the majority. How many boys, are, are those mostly gay men that molest little boys, or are they straight men that molest little boys? Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> I'm like, where are we going with this? <laughs> well, I'm, I mean, I'm just, I'm just if, throwing if it out there. Little boys, are you straight? No. Well, I mean. You're repressed as fuck. That's what I think that situation is. So if you're a man and you're molesting little boys, I'm guessing you're not straight. No, you're not. So that would be 100% of them then, right? Well. According to that logic. 
they could be bisexual. Okay. Yeah, there's fluidity. Okay. Do you think the more like, like I don't know. I'm just don't, I'm just asking this question. If there were less gay men, would there be less little boys being molested? No, no, no. There wouldn't. If no. We've already we've already decided that the that a large number of boys that get molested are by gay men. But so if we follow that logic, if there were less gay men, would there be less boys that were getting molested? We have to look at the context in which those that energy is happening. Yes. And it's largely the fucking Catholic Church. <laughs> so you think it's God's fault, Jason? Is that what you're no, telling me? I think oh, it's I a bunch of that. repressed, sexually, re sexually repressed men who were told to cut their cocks off in service to God. And they weren't given the tools of actually how to do that because it can be a powerful thing. The idea of eunuchs and men that like literally did choose celibacy. Whew magicians there's power there so the church had something about this idea of celibacy but they it became fucking religion and all these men became repressed and then they fucking it comes out in really dark evil ways to try to associate homosexuality to molestation is i think a bit grotesque that's i'm saying you're grotesque <laughs> i hear you i hear but you. like that's it's it's actually we have to look at what created the the environment that those things were taking place and not the real, not one sexuality and it's fucking the darkness of religion is where that shit happens wow there's a hot take yeah <laughs> what are you gonna say paul you made, you made a hard left there when i thought you were going somewhere <laughs> else that was wow that was good though i mean i get you know ah, i shit. would say it's a pattern like i i think it's a people that get molested are in a pattern you know, I don't necessarily know that, you know, and, and I, I think there is a lot of evidence to show this thing called imprinting. The first sexual, like, I think at a, as you be, go through puberty, the sexual experience that is put on you at that time imprints something on you the same way any experience does. And I, I think there's a lot of evidence that shows that if a young man is like between like nine and 14 and an older man does something to him like that younger man is going to remember that experience forever. And he's going to think maybe he's gay. He's going to think like, Oh my God, this happened to me. Like you can never get that out of your head. Like no. that always happened to you. No, you're, then, you're imprinted with abuse, man. You're, you're imprinted. Not like that. L am I gay? You're, you're imprinted with. Shame. How do you know? How do you know? What, well, what happened? What happened to you? What, how did you feel? Like, I think so many people, that have had and again i i sitting in the position i've been in i've heard these stories okay. of of abuse and always the the pattern of abuse is one of again the abuse the person abusing has always been abused like that's 99 percent of the time so like if there's some and again i think a lot of molestation if it's not happening in religion it's happening within the family yeah. And when it's happening within the family, it's because of sexual abuse in the family. And again, this is about fucking men not being men. And, right. and, and this is the lack of masculine energy is allowing fucking sexual abuse to take place on your house. Like, fuck that shit. So, you know, like, if, if that's going on and, and it's happening, then what gets imprinted on you is I'm going to have to abuse someone else. And the pattern of abuse continues. And it's nothing to do with one's sexuality. They, and the, unfortunately, that those traumas 
they have to like they could get very confused about their sexuality because of it happening in trauma but it does not there's healing there and it does not make them gay or straight or whatever they have to deal with the abuse and the trauma and out of that find them their true selves and however that expresses itself hmm yeah i don't know i'm not sold yeah. on the, I, I think that like i think that once a child is abused like that like they're fucked up almost forever until they go through like a lot of therapy and i think in that in that trauma whether it's whether they never get the therapy or they can make a lot of bad decisions in that time and it's probably because they felt abused and they felt that way and i think one of those decisions could be like well this felt good i'm just going to keep doing this you know what i mean like oh. But, that, there's a, sorry, but it has nothing to do whether it's gay or straight or whatever. It's sexual trauma. And it's going to create it's going to create a, a very dark pattern. So whether that's expressing itself as gay or straight, like it's going to happen. Like if you've been sexually traumatized and you don't deal with that shit, you will only continue in that sexual trauma. Mm. So can someone mm -hmm. not be gay, but just has sex with men all the time? Well, I, I don't know why <laughs> I'm just saying like if a kid got like, let's say, and I probably shouldn't laugh, but like, like, let's say that some kid is, is, is pimped out or something like that. And then they find joy in having sex with the same sex. Like, is that, is that person gay or are they just being abused? Oh, they're, they're like lending themselves to abuse. They're lending them. So it's, it's more of a trauma based thing. But in the, like, I don't know, it, it's... Am I gay because my prostrate was... I liked it, taking it up the ass. Does that make me gay? I think... Yes. The, the, right? No. And that's what I'm saying. <laughs> that's, that's, I guess, what I would challenge, <laughs> George, is maybe you need to go, you need to go play with your prostrate stuff. Um, okay. Like, I'll, tell you, again, I'll tell you. Go ahead. Yeah, the masculine energy, right? Like, so what? Because I like a certain sexual experience, does that make me gay? Yes, that, I think so. That to me is we're missing the point that our sexuality is expressed through sex. Like my identity, how I might identify as whether gay or straight is has, has honestly nothing to do with sex. That's right. And so whether I like taking it in the ass or not, has nothing to do with whether I'm gay or straight. I can't agree with that. I can't. Paul, what what do you what do you mean that's right? Like what what do you mean? Say that part again, Jay, like your sexuality has nothing to do with your with sex? No, your your how you <laughs> identify gay or straight has very little to I mean, it expresses itself sexually for sure, but just because I as a heterosexual man enjoy prostate pleasure <laughs> does not make me gay sorry sorry george i can tell through the laugh you're like ooh, that feels uncomfortable but like it does yeah. dude it totally does and that's that and honestly that's some of the masculinity that i feel like i've learned from my gay friends like dude yeah. prostrate like you want to talk about an orgasm dude you never had a, a prostrate massage george no, never once. Dude. Oh, dude, George, I'm gonna get you a toy, my friend. You need to go get some ass play, dude. dude no way, bro. That's so gay, dude. Dude, you want to see God? You no, want to see not God? That way. Oh. 
No, dude. not that way. <laughs> yeah, you do. That's the side of God you want to experience, my friend. <laughs> Tell your wife, be like, babe, I got this toy. Go to town. <sighs> that is so gay, dude. I would never do that. Uh, that's <laughs> that's what I think a lot of men are challenged by. Is there again? This is like when I like how you handle that shit. How I think you... it was. I think it's the way I was brought up. Like my, I, I could honestly tell you that my dad and every man in my family would say that's fucking gay. Yeah, that's where I think a lot of masculinity has been fucked. Yeah, I think poor men need to find their prostrates. <laughs> <laughs> that's a really fun discussion, dude. Thank you, Paul. What do you think, Paul? What, are you gonna? Do you want to? No, I agree. God, I agree. All those. <laughs> you know. You do. You you have you had a prostate like poke <laughs> a pee <pee-pee? laughs> is that a yeah <laughs> that's a knowing laugh right there oh uh, you know george you should um what should i do so you live in you live near honolulu waikiki right so there's a ton of places in there that you know I'm i, sure I never do a prostrate no. N- n- never do it yourself n- no Go. dude I, I will not do that can you look yourself in the mirror as a man and be like i'm proud of you there's a i love all of me i'm i'm proud of me for never doing that like (laughs) so there's a part right there's that edge of ourselves like how do you learn how to love your whole self not by sticking a finger up your butt until you do and you're like god damn (laughs) that feels good now you're peer pressuring me you're not a man until you do this george Man, I'm uh, outnumbered here too. Yeah, who would you have guessed that? Paul and I would be. Uh, I would. I would have one. never guessed that. <laughs> <laughs> I would have never guessed that. It's interesting, though. I, so, I, I, you know, to the bigger conversation, right? Oh, interesting, George. What's that? I said it's more than interesting. <laughs> what? Okay, elaborate on that. Uh, <laughs> uh, what do we run into? Like a PG podcast there what's what's going on <laughs> i don't know dude we just went way off on the corner but look but so i mean that's just it right there so like when i when we talk about like masculinity right i mean i i believe that to be part of masculinity man it's just like you know like are you comfortable with doing certain things maybe sexually you know and i'm not talking about like okay yeah george i want you to go blow the guy your neighbor <laughs> yeah it's, it's no. not about that right you know? right these things you know uh, you know are enjoyed with you know your wife or your girlfriend your partner whatever you want to call her you know and so you know it, it's like it's kind of weird that it's like whoa that's gay you know what i mean that's I yeah don't like I don't, I don't think that has anything to do i don't like like i do think that like I, maybe that makes me weird or maybe it makes me uncomfortable or or but yeah, I don't think it makes me less masculine. Like I, like maybe it's society that taught me that. But like do I, think, I've, do you think? Do you think maybe? Yeah, maybe it's a society thing, man. Do you think maybe. like you're hanging on to something that you perceive to be masculine that may not really be? Um, maybe. Like I, this is probably where I'm wrong. But I, I was under the impression that all men thought that was gay. But apparently, I'm wrong. Obviously, I'm wrong. If I'm sitting here with two people that I admire, and they're like, "No, no, that's not gay," mm. but like, I, I still think that. I mean, 
I don't know. I've always thought that, but but how does that? I don't know. It well, I mean, it's to me, it's 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 like my wife I, would think that was gay. Like if I told my wife that, she'd be like, "That's gay." <laughs> really? Yeah. Her sticking her finger up your butt is gay. No, me going and getting a prostate massage or me sticking my own finger up my butt would be gay. And my well, wife would definitely, like, I, I don't think my wife would want to stick her finger up my butt. <laughs> I, that, maybe I'm a prude. Maybe I'm a prude. Uh, you know, like. Have you of, ever, have you done it, Paul? Have you stuck that, your finger? Have you done it? I, I've, okay, I've not done it to myself. <laughs> Why not? Because it's gay? Because <laughs> Cause you don't have to. Yeah. <laughs> but why not? Like, are you you're not afraid to, right? No, I'm not afraid to. Well, then do it. <laughs> do it. <laughs> like, George, playing the peer pressure game now. I know. It's like this peer pressure thing. And if you George know? wants to start watching, we've got some concerns. <laughs> There's some repression we might want to talk about, George. Not one of those. It's not one of those things where it's like, oh yeah, like I I have been like I got to be doing this all the time, George. You know. It's like you know, it's an experience. What What do you think Mike right? Nicholson then, would say if you told, if What do you think Mike Nicholson would say? Fuck, I don't know. I don't know, man. I, honestly, I don't know what Mike would say. I'm gonna ask him. I think he'd Are say you? that's gay. I'll put it, I'll put it, I'll put a dollar on it. A gentleman's bet of a dollar. I don't, I, don't, I don't know if he would. I don't know either. He might be like, "You're gay, George." Well, and I think, and I, I, unfortunately, I feel like this has been such a disservice to our friends that identify as, you know, being gay. Right. Is that, again, I don't think it, like, our, our, like, we have to begin to realize, like, I don't, how I identify as heterosexual shapes a lot of my life, right? And And not just the fact that I love pussy, but it's like, it, it shapes just other parts of how I function in society and how I show up. And, and that's been very normalized and, and where I feel like the pain of my friends that are in, you know, that, that identify, um, they don't, they don't get to, they don't get that same ease in society. And that's, what's sad to me. And they deserve that. They deserve the same ease. And they deserve to to be able to love their partners and in the ways and explore, but also realize like there's a there's a normalcy there that this whether this is gay or straight and it's it's love it's beautiful and I can learn a lot from it and and that's where I feel like yeah having these conversations with with some of my friends that are gay like has helped me because I'm like guys help me I feel really crude in my understanding I feel really crude in my like ways I talk about this, like help me understand from another perspective. And it's been beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think we make too much of a big deal out of it all. Really? Right. Yeah. You know, I, 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 to me, I've just never, like, I've never been threatened by, you know, gay people. Like they've never been, you know, I don't view them as being threatening, you know, in right. any way. Um, you know, they don't make me uncomfortable. Um, you know, I, I, and it's just kind of always been that way, you know, like for a long time. And so I don't, I, I just kind of think that we just make too, like this is gay or that's gay or whatever. I just think it's like we make too much of a big deal out of, out of all of it, really. You know, like what people do in their own, 
you know, right. and their, you know, and their relationships, who, who they choose to love and that, and how they choose to spend their time together, you know, like it doesn't, it doesn't bother me. Right. So I think people should be able to do whatever they want in their own house. It's a free country. And well, I'm not trying I to mean, disparage anybody. You know, I, I, yeah, go ahead. I just, I think that there is a lot of, and I'm like, I think that there's a lot of, of area there where people are uncomfortable and even myself sometimes like, I don't mean to be, I'm not trying to be mean or rude or whatever, but I'm just trying to be honest about how I feel, yeah. you know? And like, I, I, I got tons of gay friends and like, I, I go at it, man. I don't, I don't care what you, everybody should be free to have a relationship and love who they want to love. And I would never get in the way of that. But at the same time, like I, I wouldn't be me if I didn't tell you, Hey, this part kind of freaks me out a little bit. Yeah. And that's just important about having the conversations, right? Yeah, and having having the ability to to talk about that and that be safe to be like, hey, help me understand this. Like, I don't. This is a little hard for me, and I don't. You know, like I'm trying to figure this out because this isn't my experience, but clearly it's yours. And that's where we have to be willing to have these conversations and show up as both being again the masculine of the brave and the courageous when we find these edges and be willing to to come at them with curiosity. Yeah, agreed. So I think something that I think we're going to see happen. And and so, again, I don't know the circles that you guys see, but I see this a lot with my with Tiffany and some of the the movement of like women. There's just this real like kind of like pussy power energy. And you you see a lot of like women learning how to like reintegrate into their pussies. And anyways, it's a lot. It, we have a lot of pussy talk in this house. So <laughs> It's interesting. And this like kind of like integration in and, and with that comes uh, some fluidity that you're starting to really see, I think, in women where they might be more willing to like have a, um, a, a bisexual experience. They might be willing to have a, an experience with a, a, a with a woman and in that energy, but not be identifying, quote unquote, as gay. But it's, it's kind of normalized because of this power of the pussy that they're understanding and I don't know, I'm curious as men, like, again, as we see more and more men step into their masculinity, do you see, you know, is, does there become more fluidity? I don't know. It'll be like, uh, societally, it's always been something I've been curious about, like Rome, and you look at these other like areas where like men had this fluidity and their sexuality. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Like, do you think the masculine can be fluid in, in both the, the energies or do you think it has to be one or the other? I think it's decadence. I think when societies have so much money, men no longer need to be men. Mm. They have so much freedom to go out and like, you don't have to work that hard. Like you can, you can have a job where you can get your nails done. And like, you know, I'm not saying that's wrong, but I'm saying in difficult times, I think that like difficult times make strong men, strong men make good times. Good times make weak men. Mm. And I think we've gone through a period of really good times and we have a lot of weak men. I'm not saying gay men are weak men, but I am saying that like, um, you know, there's like you said, there's tons of masculine gay men that probably, you know, drive trucks and, and are fighters and, and all this stuff. But <laughs> I'm just saying. Caricatures of what a man is. Drives yeah. <laughs> but I'm just saying like. Ride motorcycles. <laughs> belong to bike clubs yeah totally right you know <laughs> all of those men <laughs> oh george but yeah. don't what do you do you agree with the idea that diff like if if you 
don't have a lot of money and you got to do what you got to do. I, I think that when I think of difficult times, I don't think of gay men. Do you? Do you th is there more gay men in difficult times or in easy times? Like when I think of like, like, like I think of like a uh, San Francisco. I would, agree, like a, I would agree that this conversation <clears throat> is doing a service to gay people, right? Like, it's, it's, <laughs> uh, you know, um, the difficult times, the good times, are the more or less gay people. I mean, geez, George, it's something I've never even thought about ever. Why not? <laughs> Because <laughs> I think there's always been the same amount of gay people. Mm. I don't think the times. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that has. I think again, it's has nothing to do with these things about what happens in society. Like, it's always there. Yeah, and and like now That's we have point. to like what's difficult times and what's good times, right? I mean. Shit, I don't know. That's a, you know, I, don't, I feel like it's a loaded question, George. It may be. It may be. Like, I, what do you think? Like, okay. like if I'm going to get sucked into that conversation, which I really don't want to get sucked into, <laughs> you know, yeah. all I see are like windfalls, man. This it's just traps. There's traps everywhere. Uh, like I, that, I, I, don't, I don't, you know, I because I agree with Jason. Like, I think. I don't think it's like, oh, we have difficult times, so you know, there's there's no there's no gay people, and now we have easy times, and there's more gay people, you know. Yeah, I think that's well. The, I think you have the, the freedom. To, I think the more money you have, the more it's freedom you have. Like, all those things would like indicate to me that people would think that being gay is a choice. Yeah. I don't, you know, like it, it's it's it, to me, it's not a choice. It's like that's you. That's you were born that way. That's the way it is. Yep. Yeah, I, I just, I and guess. I don't think that influence, you know, it's not influenced by like, you know, by poverty. So, I mean, are there more, are there more? Uh, okay, I, I would, I would challenge that a little bit. in the poor community? Are there more would, gay people in the poor community? Okay, I would challenge this on the idea of poverty. I'm not saying that poverty makes somebody gay, but I am saying that like, imagine, like, what do you think the relationship is between a heterosexual dad and a gay son? Do you think that that, like th there's there's problems there, right? Like I think that there's a lot of problems there. It depends on how masculine the heterosexual dad is. Yeah, yeah, it's a great point. It's a great point. Like I I, I, I hope I hope that all dads love their sons, regardless of what preference they they have, or regardless of what their sexuality is. Well, okay. So here's here's George. I think I think what you're how I might kind of dive into what you're you're okay. offering here <laughs> is that I don't think that you can we can look at good times or bad times as a delineation of what like more gay people or less gay people i think what you you see is actually repressed and ability to be in themselves and in hard times or in a, in a more closed society the same amount like they're just repressed they're not mm, living right. into their identity right so right. they might be closeted they might right, be right, with right. a woman but that does not that they're they're not in their true selves now as things become easier in society and as maybe more uh resources become available they can step into i i again this is a bit of a hot take but there's something really beautiful that the gift of that of homosexuality provides all of us 
And again, this might be a little out there, but this is the mycelium talking. So I'm just going to delineate that. But that they're, that they're a group of people on this planet that would say, I'm not going to reproduce. That's a gift. It's a beautiful thing. And I think it adds, it adds a balance to society. I don't think that. What's that? I don't think that that's gay people are making that choice. What do you mean? I mean, you know, I, I, I don't think that being gay is a choice. Therefore, I don't think that there's actually a conscious thought amongst gay people that I'm not going to reproduce. It's a, but it's, it's maybe, but it's, it's a, a it's a byproduct. It's a reality. It's a reality. Right. But so it's like people are making, you know, like this is, you know, I don't think they're thinking about that. No, I think but that's, that's understood. It is understood, but I don't think sometimes we honor it for what it is. Oh, okay. So you're talking about like society. Yeah, society, right? Okay. And that, again, again, talking to George's point of like living yeah. repressed or being able to live open and in a society and a society that can celebrate that and celebrate, again, that there is like they, they can express themselves without having to play these games of like you have to reproduce and you have to have a family that looks this specific way. Like, yeah, that is there is some um, some real gifts when society can give that to people. And maybe it does happen more when there's more affluence or more resources. Um, but it's always there. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, the, the times do shape, you know, um, you know, human behavior. You know, so. But, but yeah, I mean, so I was thinking like. From the, the time of world wars, right? When. The world is kind of focusing on solving conflict through violence. Yeah. That, you know, there's just an air of, um, I guess you could call it masculine energy, like within society. And then so therefore, I could see, you know, uh, you know, homosexuals as being more reluctant to come out in a time like that. Right. Mm -hmm. to, to start talking about how, you know, how they're gay. You know, whereas, you know, like times when there seems to be, you know, less conflict maybe in the world, more time of, a, of abundance, less, you know, where the energy is a little softer then yeah, maybe, maybe, you know, homosexuals are like, yeah, okay, you know, I feel comfortable in this time to come out and express what I am. Mm. It wasn't that long ago that we didn't let homosexuals in the military, right? So why like, do you think, why do you think know, that is? We were oppressed society. <laughs> yeah, right. We we didn't understand sex. You don't think that maybe the military wanted it to be super masculine, and that they looked down on gay people as not masculine? Well, I think, but again, I think sometimes cultural. Like, yeah, it's so cultural. I think sometimes when we tap back in, like if you were to go back to like Rome and like gladiators and fucking like some of this like real masculine energy. Dude, they were fucking each other. I like I uh, there's this fluidity almost to sexuality that was like men and military and like understanding and like fucking taking care of each other's needs. Like it's like, <laughs> come on, like, let's be honest. like, <laughs> why? Like, how could you not also be a really powerful man and understand that energy and play with that energy? And well, I think I don't know. what. Yeah, it was a different time back then. Right. It was you're talking about a time where. You know, they actually had, you know, there were bathhouses. Yeah. There were, mm. there, you know, there were, 
there were sex houses, right? Right. Like, just like, hey, I need to stop and get a big gulp. You could, like, walk into this place, and there will be people in there having sex. Yeah. And and so, you know, it was much more open back then, right? Like, it wasn't, sex wasn't a big deal. It was a pleasurable pastime. So we Mm. sometimes look at that as, like, the demise of society. So what do you guys think? Is, like, open sexual pleasure like that healthy in society, or does it, does it, uh maybe signal some sort of crash no i think it's i think it signals a healthy society i think on some level like i I don't think it should just be like free love everywhere like i think that there should be because i think that there is something for for we get back to self-restraint and we get back to discipline and if everybody's just out fucking each other like there's no there's no discipline there. Like you should have to earn it. Like I, I think that if you want to be with somebody, you should sacrifice and show them who you are. Like if you just, it's like if you say, I say the word love all the time, and people are like, man, you shouldn't say that all the time because you're wasting it. Like maybe if you could just have all this sex all the time with just different people, I, I don't, I don't know that, that would. I, I think it would stop you from having a lot of, of achievement maybe because like why 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 achieve anything like how much of what men do is to get a girl like when i when i was 17 like i moved out of my house when i was 17 and i was like i'm never gonna get a fucking hot girl unless i have my own place unless i have a car unless i have a good job i have to be a good provider in order to find a woman that will want to be with me and i think that there's something to that i think that there's something about shaping the best person you can be and that comes from the idea of finding a woman that will love you like she a woman wants to be with a guy that can provide for her right well i mean what's the flip side of that i don't know what is sexual repression and i think sexual repression is the cause of many society ails Mm. yeah about you know we're talking about like you know i mean jason wants to talk about you know like molestation of little boys it's like you know i i guess what i've learned tonight is you know exists heavy in the catholic community um is that news to you i i just never i you know like um no i mean you hear the stories but i just have never been like yeah that's the way it is you know what i mean i don't i don't i don't i don't think that way but um, you know maybe it is that way but i just don't like i i guess i don't I don't know. I don't. I don't view things like that. Um, but, but I mean, you know, with child molestation and and rape, and um, you know, I mean, a lot of these things are because of like, you know, because guys got to get laid, and you know, and maybe they don't have the best job, and maybe they're not the best looking. You know what I mean? Or maybe they're not strong communicators, or what somebody would deem to be masculine enough, right? To to have a mate, but. You know, that doesn't mean that these guys, you know, that there's guys out there that, you know, don't deserve to get laid. And so isn't that nature's way of saying they don't deserve to get laid? I I think I think it's a culture's way of saying that. I, I but I think there's a bit of a misnomer here that sexual abuse is connected to a man's desire to get laid. I don't think those two that man. I'm I'm saying that this is a factor. You but know, um, but I don't think it is. I think it actually is about it's a it's a it's a function of abuse. Like someone that that is that it, it, it is rape 
you know, someone that is a rapist or is a pedophile or these things, you look into their stories and there's always abuse. Always. Like no one's like, I'm just going to become a rapist. <laughs> like I need, you know, like, no, you're, there's a, there's abuse, there's trauma and there's undealt with shit. And that's the ills of society is when there's so many people that are traumatized and they just, they have zero tools on how to handle it other than fucking take this pill and it will make you not feel anything. That's what we've done to our society. What were you going to say, Paul? You, you said you, you agree with that or you don't agree with that? No, I mean, it's like, it's, it's, um, you know, I, well, okay, so that's one way of looking at it. The other way of looking at it is, is that, you know, there's guys out there that, um, you know, and women too, right, that aren't getting any loving. And, yeah. and that becomes a problem, right? And, and not just for them, but for everybody. And so, you know, I think when you start shunning people, right, because they're not the best looking people, they don't make the, the most amount of money. You know, they, you know, they may not appear to be, you know, either masculine or feminine or whatever somebody's looking for, then I think that becomes a problem. Those guys, I mean, there's a ton of, and maybe they were abused, but there's a ton of, you know, serial rapist stories that you can read about and serial killer stories that you can read about where part of their sexual dysfunction was the fact that they could not attract the opposite sex. So they forced themselves on the other and so they have forced themselves onto people. And that's a problem, right? So when you so we're talking about like in a more advanced society, I think that, you know, like the Roman bathhouse isn't, you know, maybe that's not the solution, but you know, like I've always been a proponent for legalized prostitution. Yeah. Well, and I think the other thing that's also interesting to to look at too is like I will say a lot of these like in like you know informed consent with sex right and and how abuse and i think there's a lot of you know you hear these stories of you know guys that have uh, you know college guys that have raped women and whatnot and how alcohol is always involved in those stories and consent gets messy and you know I, that's the other thing of like looking at what's happening in society is you know what happens when you start you know dealing with your your fucking and you don't really know how to consent or you know you get roofied or all the, all these horrible things that are happening and you're not given the ability to like truly like informed consent yeah it's it can ruin lives right yeah and that's that's a lot of abuse that happens you know that's a lot of what people are experiencing so again, you talk about like being molested or some sort of like sexual advance or, you know, some sort of sexual abuse is it's, it's, it's messy. I think that that's why there's so much porn now. I, I think that in my opinion, I think it's a, it's, it's not only allowed, it's like promoted. Like the, I think that people like social engineers and governments, like they realize this, like there's clearly smart people in government that go, okay, look. You can't have a majority of young men and not enough women. Like, that's a problem. Like, you're going to have violence. You're going to have outbreaks. You're going to have war. So if you can sublet, like, if you can, 
if you can put porn out there, at least guys are going to be like jacking off and stuff. All right, we got, I got another guy coming in here. Uh, Scott Hover. Hey, Welcome what's happening, George? Welcome to the chat, man. You're here with Paul and Jason. Well, I've like I I I'm only catching like 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 little bits and pieces. So, okay. toxic masculinity. I mean, I'm a construction worker. I'm a biker. What do you want from me? You know, I mean, the way me and you grew up, George. Okay, let me ask you this, Scott. It, would you is it gay to stick your finger and stick it up your butt? Jesus Christ, George. <laughs> Fuck no, it's not gay. Fucking expect <laughs> if your old lady does it to you, dude. Fucking whatever. Whatever, bro. <laughs> I mean, look, George, that, that was a poor setup, man. <laughs> no, it wasn't that wasn't even a poor setup. What whatsoever. Me and George went to elementary school together. We 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 can do that shit. I forgot to tell you, I've known this guy since I was like five. Yeah, uh, like like we're in <laughs> like I'm, maybe we're in the hospital together. Who knows? It could have been. It could yeah, have been. Yeah, yeah. So what's up, Toss? What do you think about like Scott? What if there's too many like okay, where we grew up, there was enough. Was there enough girls for every guy? Like what what happens in society, <laughs> Scott? When there's like what happens, man? Like when there's not enough, like. <laughs> I wasn't going there, Paul. I just kind of came out that way. No, <laughs> no, um, like, like George, like Fucking Noah's Ark. <laughs> That's funny. Whatever, whatever, man. You know what, George? Um, like, I I caught bits and pieces of what you were talking about earlier, and like they were, you get these guys are like talking about like these things that they have no idea about. Like they had no idea how like, like short Scott Hover and short George Monty got picked on and how we had, you know, how we had to like fight our way up. Mm. You know, I, I would, I like, I don't know how Jason grew up, but I can honestly tell you, Paul fucking is a gangster, man. He, I have huge respect for him as the way he grew up. And I know for a fact that he, while him and I may differ on different ideas of masculinity. And like, I think, I think I can say this for everybody in the room. While I may differ and I've on ideas of masculinity, I have huge respect for everybody in here. And I think everybody's fucking masculine. No, I'm not, I'm not going to disrespect anybody in here, but like, I like masculinity, like it's something that's being lost. Okay. It's, it, it's being lost. It's it it's completely being lost. Mm. And men are not being allowed to be men anymore. And redefine. It, it's a it's a it's a sorry thing. Yeah, what do you, so what do you, like you work with some younger kids as a construction worker? Like do you think that the kids are is it is it that the kids are not as strong as as maybe we were coming up, or is it is it just that we're older and they don't they look soft? No, we were we were brought up harder, George. Mm. I mean, like like what I was commenting, like I was on the corner selling oranges at like six years old. You know, it's it's it it was a different life. You know, we're we're different people. We're 
some of them are coming up and they're they're sons of like you know superintendents or whatever and they're they're gonna learn it the hard way and i love those kids for that you know what i mean so scott do you have kids i have two i have two daughters yeah and they're grown okay um so I'm always curious about this, like transference of the, the, like what made you a man? And I agree in honor, like fucking selling oranges on the corner. Right. And that defined you as a man. Um, but would you want that for your children? Fuck. Yeah. I think that every kid needs to learn how to like earn and like make yeah. money. And I think that's where society has gone soft. Yeah. Like, so how do you teach your children resistance or how did you teach your girls resistance? I didn't teach them anything. I didn't, I didn't get the chance to raise them, unfortunately. Okay. But it sounds know. like the, it sounds like the kids these days argument that I hear, you know, like there's been some drastic shift in the way kids behave today than when we were kids, mm. you know, their well, life. Of you know, course there is. Of course there is. I mean, like... I don't think there is. I mean, let, let me tell you something. I mean, I had stepchildren my whole life. You know, I I was I was with a wonderful woman and three, three beautiful girls the whole time, you know. And, uh... Gina just came out there, but... <laughs> no. Um... No, she uh, she parented different than I would have parented. I didn't, you know, you know, it was a different, it, it was a different time. Like cell phones were being put into hands and, and everything like this, the, this generation didn't get to experience like what me and George or, or you guys like, you know, growing up. You know, we didn't have cell phones put in our hands, you know, all of a sudden these, there's these devices in their hands and they don't know how to function anymore at all. They don't, th there's no function like me and George, we can like, like, like we can like pull out a Thomas brothers map and find our way to, uh, Tijuana, you know? <laughs> but like these kids if like the gps went down they're fucked well i mean i mean all that is you know is true but i think kids these days experience their own unique set of challenges you know but like they have they have skill sets that like you know on some levels like we don't have like they understand how to navigate a, a world that is is digital and they understand how to like they're giving a different set of tools and i agree with you none of my kids have devices and i don't want them in that world but like it is it's, they are being raised differently we were raised different it's kind of the like converse it's, every generation is going to have some shift that is i think and this is where you you see like the blessing of the previous generation Right. It's like, hey, we learned these hard lessons. We want to teach you like let us teach you these lessons, children. And can you hear it? And when you stop 
teaching the children how to like grow, then they, then you start seeing like society get soft and these, these, these problems. Right. But like, exactly. And like me and George were brought up to fight. Right. George. I think that we didn't have a choice. Like I got beat up a lot, man. I took some, beatings. I got beat up too. Like, <laughs> like, like Ray hadn't like was telling Gina the other night, like how, like I used to be fighting all the time, you know? But I think and, that that comes from being from a lower eco- socioeconomic background. Like when you when you grow up in an area where either you're the minority or you don't have a lot of money, you know, I, I think that that is the case. And I think that that still happens today, right? Or, or or is it that there's so much push for bullying that like kids don't get any like it? Sometimes I wonder this: like, do I look at kids today as being weak the same way my dad looked at me being weak and his dad looked at him being weak? Are, are we just growing weaker every generation? No. You don't think so? No. What do you, What do you mean? No, because I mean, if your dad thought that you were like when you were a kid, you were weak. Do you think he would think that same thing about you today? No, he doesn't think that at all today. Okay, well there you go. So, you think you would? Um, you think you've fallen short of your dad's masculinity? No, I think I've improved on it. Okay, exactly. Well, there you go. That's and then the game. so. so so kids today, if by that logic, kids today will come up and think that they improved on our masculinity. Yeah. I can see So that. like, it's interesting. Like I was bullied pretty hardcore, but I didn't fight back. And I lost my, that's part of my masculinity that I've actually had to come back into is I, I was so taken. I was like verbally abused. I never really got physical uh, abuse, but like, man, I was decimated uh, by my friends and bullied sorry, super hardcore. That sucks. And, but again, so but it's interesting because like I didn't fight back. I didn't have the tools. I couldn't. I wasn't witty enough or smart enough to like fight back in a way that could stand up for myself. And that was that was lost. And that's something like I think some men learn how to fight back. And it's interesting, you guys, talking about this because we had this conversation like at work if you could go to the future or your past self and and have a 20 second conversation what would you do and i answered that as being like i'd go back to fifth grade and tell myself fight back because i didn't you know you know you know what you know what george probably witnessed this with me um i got bullied bad i was shorter than he was like george was a wrestler he was a stud he was a stud (laughs) thank you and I was I was this little skinny kid. I was this little skinny kid and everybody picked on me. Hmm. And boom, I got chased out of Lincoln Middle School one day, you know? And like I ran out of the school crying my eyes out until I decided to fight back. Hmm. And my dad pulled me into a garage and he you know, told me, he said, you know, you hit first, you hit hard, and you don't stop hitting. And nobody ever fucked with me ever since, you know? What was beautiful that? lesson. Yeah. What, what, that was in sixth grade, Scott? Yeah, that was in sixth grade. It was Dominic was Ray. Dominic Ray. And, yeah. yeah. 
I remember. And like I, 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 I whipped his ass all over the place. And then the next one was Josh Corso, and the next one was Sean Ream, and you know. Let me ask you it this: It went on. Now, were you like so? How do you when you when you it was it was fucking traumatic. I remember. I remember it fucking happening, and I remember feeling fucking horrible. But what? What was it like? So how did the encounter go? So you, you you get chased out of school and then do you come back the next day and just pick a fight or does he see you and start fucking with you again? Or how no, did it go he, down? He, he picked, he, he, I, I came back the next day, you know, I licked my wounds and my dad and my cousin, like, like put a punchy bag in front of my face and they told me, they taught me how to punch and, and that was it. That was that. And like, that's you want to call it toxic mas masculinity or whatever it's a boy learning to be a man you know was did that change your life would you say was that was your life different after that fight oh yeah oh yeah i never took any shit ever again ever from anybody you and know one, like, that, amazing and one like it's amazing how like, see, that I think that that's a huge part of of what should happen, and I, I wish. I mean, I, it's interesting to hear these two stories. Like, you know, I, I, I wish that people could feel what that's like. You know, because it, it sucks to get bullied. I mean, I, I know what it's like, but it's 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 so sweet when you're able to, when you finally get the courage to fight back for yourself. It's like something yeah. fucking shifts in you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like and there there was there was a point in my life that like when <laughs> i wasn't going to take any shit from anybody in at at any point no more no more you know i was like uh, well and then people started challenging me you know and they wanted to fight and I, I, i'll fight them you know what i mean and so do you think that we're doing an injustice? Have we done an injustice to like a generation of children by not letting them fight? I think we have like, like the whole, like, I, I, I really do think that like when a bully, like bully somebody, they need to get socked in their fucking mouth. You know what I mean? I do. Mm. I mean, that's, that's what it is. And like, you know, we grew up that way, and like it's boom. You want to you want to you, you bully somebody? Boom, you get hit. Talk shit, get hit. So, so I think like I don't see that as that as being toxic masculinity. I think, but there's an interesting play where when when does that become the bully? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know what? You know what? I, I will, mindset, right? I, I will. I will tell you one thing because Mr. Hatch, who was uh, our vice principal, was the one who was saying, "Scott, you got to stick up for yourself." He was tired of seeing me like, like running out of the school and and crying and being, yeah. you know, being like the little bitch boy. And then there was a point where he said, Scott, you're done, dude. You, you're beating up too many people. Yeah. You know? 
And Mrs. Dolan was like ISS, and she was like, "Who'd you beat up?" And I'm like, "This kid," and you know, and she's like, "You're gonna be treated real good here," you know. <laughs> but like, I mean, that's the way it was back in the day. I, do you think that I don't know if people that get do you guys think that people that get bullied go on to become bullies? I think it's a path often, yeah. I would disagree. I, I, I think that once you've been bullied, that 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 you learn lessons there. I think the lesson you learn is a how it feels to be bullied and b what it feels to fight back. And I think that because you have been bullied, it, it affords you some humility. You know, and I think that there's there's it's like the dual sword right there. It's humility, but and then but yeah, so much of bullying is playing on the weakness of another person. It and is. often that what ends up happening is you you had a weakness that was exploited. Yeah. And since you couldn't handle like so you were bullied in some way, shape, or form. And again, I think to your point, George, when you're healthy, like a healthy mm. human being, mm -hmm. yeah, you you don't pass that on. But if you don't know how to deal with that, I would say yeah. the majority of bullies were bullied in some way, shape, or form. So you're 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 saying that I am a bully? No, 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 no. I'm not no. saying you are. No, no, I'm no, no. no. Saying... I, I'm I'm like what what like that's your rationale right now? No, I'm saying no, I don't, yeah. every person. I was, and this is the question: is like I believe in fighting back. You have to fight back. You have to find your voice again. But you also have to learn the wisdom of not becoming the bully. That's, well, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, like George Money and George is stud. George is stud. Nobody's going to fuck with George. That's like, George up yeah, one time. I'm not going to fuck with George. George isn't <laughs> going to fuck with me. You know, we, we have a mutual respect for each other. You know, it's like we can fight each other and we'll both go to the ground and and like we'll we'll roll around and we'll like, you know, we'll beat each other up, you know. Yeah, but you're but, not bullying. There's no bully no, energy there. No, but mm. check it out. Check it out. I went on in life to go into the Coast Guard. And I went into the Coast Guard because I beat the fuck out of somebody i fucking hurt somebody so badly that they were put into an icu unit now you sound like and a bully no <laughs> he he hit me with a freaking dowel you know you know what i'm talking about a dowel out of a closet mm -hmm. right yeah he hit me in the head with it and I proceeded to, you know, check him down under a car. And, like, I beat his ass badly. And I spent, like, you know, the next, like, four years making up for that. Because, like, I put somebody in a bad situation. I'm not that guy. You know what I mean? I saved so many lives. Like, you don't even know who I am, man. I, like, I saved a lot of lives. 
did you do like as you were saving those lives were you did you feel like you were making up for the guy you almost killed yeah that's what i was doing that's what i was doing man mm -hmm. do you feel like you still like do you still feel bad about what you did to that guy yeah i do feel bad but he fucking tried to hurt me you know <laughs> what i mean too. yeah 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 he yeah. tried to hurt me and like i i did a lot of like 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 seriously crazy stuff making up for it you know yeah you know, like fucking yeah. nobody can nobody can take what I've done away from me. Like there's there's <laughs> there's pictures all over the internet of like what I've done. You know, like yeah, you, can, I, you can't change, you can't control what happens to you, but you can control the meaning of that event. Exactly, like, right? Exactly, and. You know, I mean, you call it toxic mas masculinity or whatever you want to call it. It's the way we're born and raised and we fought and we like, that's, that's, that's how we were raised. You know, we fought, we, we, we had combat, you know, there wasn't. Yeah. There wasn't. There wasn't. If there wasn't anything that like anybody can like say back in those days, we fought like fists flew, and we were men, and we are men now. And now these kids don't have the. They don't have the. They don't have the benefit of what we did. You know what I mean? And it's, it's a pretty sad situation when our country is going to be dependent on these kids that have never been socked in the fucking face. You know Sound what I like mean? like my grandfather. <laughs> yeah. Well, but here's you the thing that I... Punched in the fucking I mean, mouth. It's all, it's all like a pretty primitive way of looking at masculinity, to be honest with you, man. You know, like, like we, like we were men because we fight it out. We're men because we sold oranges on the corner. We're men because, you know, because we were once bullied and then we, you know, we decided not to be bullied anymore. We're men because we put somebody in the ICU. We're men because we got famous on the internet because we went out and did stupid shit to save other people's lives. It's like pretty primitive. You think fucking going out and saving people's lives is stupid shit? No, it just sounds pretty primitive idea of like this is like this whole like a real twisted like view of masculinity, if you want to know my opinion. Well, I mean, I I, I think your opinion kind of sucks, but That's okay. I'm, no, I'm 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 being respectful, as respectful okay. as I can. Okay. Well don't hold back, brother. No, I I, I think your opinion sucks because yeah. like like, Why do you think it sucks? Like I, I don't. Just yeah. to be clear, I don't think he said that saving people sucks. I just think he's saying that the idea of of what he doesn't it's agree kind of a with superhero your idea. type of like way of looking at things. But why do you think it sucks, Scott? Why do you think what he said sucks? Just because it's like there's like some like little kid like Scott Hover that you know just was bullied and fought his way back and just you know punched and and fought and kicked and like 
boom. Next thing you know, he's fucking in the Bering Sea and fighting his fucking, you know, he's 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 grabbing people, you know, and or not in the Bering Sea. I didn't grab anybody in the Bering Sea, but I cut my teeth on the Bering Sea. Right. I, I, I grabbed people on the Washington coast, you know. Right. On I think the, yeah, I'll never, I'll never like you know say what I don't do, but like <laughs> shit, man, I fucking save cops out there, you know that 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 thought they were Baywatch, you know, and I still fucking like I'll save my friend, you know, like I don't care, like if George Monty was like getting like if some like big ass Samoan dude would fucking <laughs> fuck with George Monty I'd fucking sock him up dude I don't care you know I'm I'm a man I'm a man and I know and it sounds like you kind of gone through your life like going like pretty overtly trying to prove that to yourself no no it's just like I I know who my friends are and like I'll I'll lay down my life for him. You know what? And I'll lay down my life for another. And women do I, that. Too. No, I I took an oath to this country. And I'll lay down my life for this country. So like when it, Anybody says anything like that is just like counterproductive to this society or whatever. Scott, can I offer this man? The, the <laughs> go, beauty. Go, go for it, bro. I'm, 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 I'm all, I'm all ears. Dude. What the, the honesty, dude, I want to honor, like there's a piece of the masculinity about finding your edge of where you would find death for something else. That's a beautiful I, thing, dude. It's like, I would lay down my life for another human being. So, and, so I think there's something there's something deeply masculine about what you're talking about. And I think every man's journey is to find the thing that he'd be willing to lay his life down for. Scott, and that's what every man brave or courageous. It, it, oh. it, it could be. It could be bravery. It could be courage. And again, every man has to make a decision. Would I lay my life down for my spouse? Would I lay my life down for my children? Would I lay my life down for my values? Would I lay my life down for my beliefs? Would I lay, and then what are the, what are the, what are like, and that's a choice. That's a part of the masculine is knowing your edge, knowing where you would die. It's a, it's a powerful piece of the masculine energy. That I, I would lay my life down for you. <laughs> right. There's something powerful about that. And a man, I a would man lay that, my life down for you, not a, a stranger, a stranger. I would something? lay my life down for you, brother, because but, I took an oath to do that. But so, and there's something very powerful yeah. with the, these veterans and like people like me, like, so, like but, seriously, but I would the, lay my life down for you, bro. So, but the, the thing that we have to understand is that every man has to, to because you're willing to lay your life down for this country, it, it, we can't look at it as like that makes you more masculine and someone that's not willing to do that is less masculine. It just means you found your masculine and you know, you're, you know what you're going to do. And I honor that. And Paul might choose a different 
path to that masculine energy. And it's not to say one is more or less masculine. It's about, dude, what, where are you willing to die? That's the question. That's the masculine question. Where are you willing to die? Well, you know, I've, I've, I've obviously stated it, you know, I'd yeah. lay my life down for another person. So I just want to, that's, and that's I lay my life down for I my see. country, you know? Yeah. It's, it's a beautiful masculine energy. And I don't know, George, what, what's your edge? What would you die for? What would I die for? Oh man, I would die for my family and I would, I don't know. I would try to, I would die in the service of trying to do the right thing if the situation called for it. I'd like to think that, but I, sometimes I think that we don't really know until the situation arises. Like we, I like to think all these things that I would do, but you don't know until you're in that situation. And Exactly, you know, George. Exactly. Exactly. I don't know. You know, like, like there's like, like somebody could like put a, you know, could, try and stab George and I'd fucking stand in front of him. You know what I mean? That's, that's who I am. That's who I am. Man. I, 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 Paul, I like what would you die for? I mean, I'd die for my family. Um, and then like what George said, if the situation arose where, you know, I was, I was defending my beliefs, you know, um, I would definitely die for that. What do you, I mean, do you really think you could stand up? Like, okay, so me and you, Paul, we we differ. We differ big time, right? Uh, I don't know about big time, but on this, we differ. Yo, okay. Do you think you could stand up against me? Like, 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 I'm I'm a, I'm a guy who keeps a gun in my night in my nightstand. I don't keep a gun in my nightstand because I don't live in fear. I, I'm not living in fear. I'm living in like protection. I yeah. know, like, like around fear. I don't think I don't think that way. I'm not a fear-based person. I don't keep. Uh, I, are you saying that like I'm living in fear because I think, like, like somebody's willing to stand there and ask me if I'd be willing to stand to them? Yeah, for sure, bro. I'd stand to you. But then at the same breath, tell me like you're keeping a gun in your closet or under your pillow or whatever. That's fear-based. That's what I hear. I hear fear coming out of your mouth. You you hear fear. I do. <laughs> but I have no fear, bro. I George no, you knows do have, I have no fear. You have giant insecurities. I don't have any insecurities, bro. I can I can I can like like jump up and like throw down anytime, any place. You know, which just continues to further my belief that you have fears and insecurities. I don't. I don't, brother. I don't. That's like that's that's what's funny. Like to me, that's, like any man who jumps into a conversation and starts talking about like this is what I'll do to another person, and this is what I've done, and I keep guns. All I hear is scared, scared, scared. That's what I hear, man. I don't hear masculinity. I hear fear. <laughs> You know, that's what's so funny is like George knows me so well. He knows me so well. He knows me so well. And he knows like, hey, is Scott Hover scared of anybody, George? Well, Scott, like, I, I like, think 
I don't I love, hear George jump into your defense, guys. Well, look, I, I no, love. No, 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 no. I'm just saying. I'm just I saying. I mean, honestly, man, you know what I mean. Like, this is what I'll do. You know, this is this is what I've done to people. I fight. We fight. I sell oranges on the corner. You know what I mean? Like that's I hear fear, man. That's what I hear. Man, I'm more Mexican than anybody in this fucking town, dude. Fucking, you know, whatever. Whatever. What with anything what is having what is being mexican or your degree of being mexican have to do with anything man <laughs> in vista it means a lot right really i spent yeah. 20 years in vista oh really yeah really really yeah what street you from bro <laughs> i grew up near john landis park okay cool yeah me too you did yeah all right. What street? <laughs> Terry, bro. Terry. So check it out. Like, there's, there's, like, there is, like, I, I, I don't want to see whose dick is bigger right now because I guarantee you. But maybe the future. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> you know what, brother? I, I'm gonna tell you right now. Anytime you want. All right, 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 all right. That's enough. That's enough. I love you. I'm fucking. I'm gonna. I'm gonna talk to you a little bit later, Scott. I love all you. Right. All right. All right. Now we're back. For the record, I grew up on Buna Place. If anybody cares. <laughs> I, I don't care, George. I know you don't care. <laughs> I know you don't care. I think you handled it well, and I think that, like, uh, I think Scott fought fucking very masculine from where he started, and he fucking fought like a champ to get where he is now. And uh, you know, I'll leave it at it there. But yeah, it's interesting to it's interesting to get to see different people at different stages of their life and how they feel about it, you know? And I don't necessarily think it's wrong or it's right as much as I think it could be right for that person, if that kind of makes sense. You know, I think it's interesting to see different people on their journeys. And especially for me, like I know, like I've known that guy since we were kids. And when I hear him say things, like I see what he's saying because I fucking lived the life with him right there. But I would have to agree that it is primitive in a lot of ways. Like, I, I fucking love that guy. But I think some of the ways he's seeing his life could be better. You know, and I say that from a fucking place of love. But, yeah, it's it's crazy. It's, it's interesting. But that's... Well, I think something that's key about... And what I love, well, again, just some of what Scott was sharing, and, and what, at least what I was trying to see in the positive was... The, ma the masculine holds very primal energy. And the there is very primal energy to the man. And again, we have to learn how to integrate. And, and we can't just be attached to the primal. We have to be attached to the, also the wisdom, right? And we have to be attached. We have to find. Otherwise, the primal creates a, a cycle. And we break that cycle by finding wisdom. But we need the primal, like on some levels, we primal masculinity is, is like in its raw form, like also like the idea of fighting, like I was, you know, my boys, 
I don't feel like my, my son is in sixth grade and that's when a lot of bullying happens and it's when it happened to me and I don't see him getting bullied right now. And I'm really grateful for that. But dude, we wrestle <laughs> like right. I fight with him. Like, I'm like, all right, dude, let's throw down, right? Like, let's wrestle. Let's get physical with each other. That's important. Like teaching him like, and that there is something about the masculine that needs to know its edges and it needs to know its power and it needs to know, you know, what is it like to feel like it has dominance and what does it feel like when it's in submission? Those are, and uh, George is a wrestler. I'm curious, like you, how did, how did you find your masculinity through, through fighting in that form? Like really, you know, physical, uh, 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 uh match with another man. Like, tell me about that. So for me, like, uh, I remember in like I remember in kindergarten just being chased around the playground and just getting fucking beat up. And it's ironic because the guy that beat up Scott and that Scott finally beat up Dominic Ray. When I was in kindergarten, Dominic Ray was my bodyguard. And <laughs> he's kind of crazy, right? And then in like fourth grade, I was playing soccer and I was I was really small, man. I was I think I weighed 80 pounds in high school in my freshman year, like 85 pounds. And so I was a year younger than everybody too. So in fourth grade, everyone was bigger and older than me. And remember Paul Arandondo, we were playing soccer. He started laughing at me, laughing at me. And I started pushing him and I was the aggressor. And I started pushing him and yelling at him. And he just picked me up and like threw me on the ground. Like I landed on my head. I started crying. Me and Paul both went to the, uh, both got referrals and went to the office. They called our parents. And then my dad came and picked me up and he's like, what happened, son? I'm like, I got in a fight. He's like, did you win? I go, nope. And that was it for my dad for, for the ride home. Mm. And then I got home and my, my mom was home and she's like, what happened? I'm like, I got in a fight. My mom said this, she goes, you know what, George, you're younger than every boy there and you're not going to be as big as every boy there. So you need to learn how to fight with your words. And from this point forward, if you get in a fight and you can't talk your way out of it, you can't figure out a way to use your words, then you probably deserve to get hit. You need to figure that out. <laughs> So then after my mom had told me that, then my dad had, um, my dad decided, you know what, George, you're going to go wrestling. And from like the next week on, like I wrestled two days a week. And then I wrestled from like fifth grade until my junior year in high school. And by like the first few years of going and wrestling, I'd go every Saturday. I fucking hated it. I hated it. I'd go to practice. Every kid would whoop my ass. Mm-hmm. My dad would be like, wrestle those bigger boys. I go there and I just get beat up. I get pinned. I get thrown around and I didn't win a wrestling match for like a year and a half. And I never, like, I remember being way out in the middle of the desert, this place called Holtville. And like, you know, you would wrestle on a given Saturday, you'd wrestle four matches. And so I remember going there and crying. I would cry every Saturday. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. My dad's like, you're going. And so one day at, at the, in Holtville, like I, I just went out there and I, I would just lay down and I let the guys beat me. And my dad, like, I came back and my dad's like, look, George, you're always going out there. So you might as well try to win because you're going to keep going until you do win. Mm. So one day I went out there and I, I choked a guy. Like, I threw him in a head and arm and I choked him. And I felt so, like, proud of myself, you know. And then, and then you know, that was, like, in, in fifth grade. By the time I was in seventh grade, dude, I was the fucking goddamn best wrestler in my age group in the county. Wow. And yeah. And then, but then it never stopped there because 
when I was in seventh grade, my dad started taking me to the high school practice. And he's like, you're going to wrestle all these boys now. And I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm like 12, dad. Or I wasn't even 12. I was probably like 10. And then by the time I got to high school, I wrestled. I remember I would I wrestled varsity my freshman year. And I'll never forget being like we had like a, we were wrestling for like this, the uh, the conference championship. And I remember being in like the varsity locker room. Don't even have hair on my balls, man. You know, when I was wrestling 98 pounds, but I probably only weighed 88. And I remember I'm the first guy out because I'm the smallest. And I remember sitting in there with these fucking other boys. Like, I remember Mike Nicholson was the fucking team captain. And I remember, like, I'm sitting over there and I'm like, dude, all these guys are like fucking, these are the older boys, you know? I don't need hair on my balls, man. Mm -hmm. And then, like, I just remember Mike Nicholson coming to me and goes, Are you fucking ready, George? You ready to do this? You represent the team right now. And I felt like it was like Lord of the Flies, man. I, like, I, mm -hmm. I idolized this guy. He just comes over to me and he looks at me. He's like, you're going to go out there and you're going to fucking kick this guy's ass. Just smacking me a little bit. Are you ready? Remember, just like that changed my life, man. Wow. And so like that to me, you know, <laughs> I ended up becoming captain of the wrestling team, you know? So for me, it was this long haul from being the kid that got beat up to learning how to use my words, which meant, you know, I still had to try to be witty or charming and then getting to the point where I was in high school and even like, I love Scott saying I'm a badass or whatever, but I never really felt that way, you know? And, and I still don't really feel that way. Like I, I, I try to rely more on my words and on my language, you know, and, and, and shit in high school, I got beat up a bunch. I remember I got jumped a couple times and, you know, I spent a lot of time on East Los Angeles street. That's where I kind of grew up by these guys a little off to the side, but you know, it was predominantly a Mexican neighborhood. And I remember coming out and like skateboarding. I'd have to, I wanted to skateboard to like the warehouse to get a music tape, but I had to skate past like all the fucking section eight fucking places. And here's what I learned about being a white guy in Vista. Like, like there's a whole language, like, like that's language, man. That means run white boy. You're about to get blasted. And so, you know, you, you grow up in these neighborhoods where, like I knew I was going to get beat up sometimes. And luckily I knew some cool guys or I had to leave George alone, you know, but you know, I, I think that getting beat up like that and it sucked because I did sometimes, but yeah, I guess that that's my trip for masculinity. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it's awesome. It's a, it's a really interesting, I mean, it's, it's a beautiful thing that shaped your understanding of masculine and like what a gift from your dad. <laughs> Why, why do you yeah. think your dad pushed you that way? Have you ever like did you I have ship him? Yeah, yeah. Why did he it's a it's a great question. Thanks for asking. Like my dad told me this, and it's drilled into my head. It's it's that you get out of wrestling. Wrestling's like life. You get out of it what you put in it, and that mental toughness is everything. Mental toughness. And there would be times where I would wrestle, and he'd be like, you know what, George. The only thing that's holding you back is your mental toughness. He's like, you can beat these like, The only reason you'll ever lose any fight is because A, you made a mistake, or B, the guy was better than you. That's yeah. it. There's only two reasons. And you can overcome both those reasons. If you made that mistake, then don't make that mistake again. If that guy's better than you, he trained harder than you. That Those are the only two things, George. And mental toughness, he's like, you can do anything. And the thing about wrestling, too, is like, for every move, there's a counter move. Yeah. You know, and so my dad would say, good guys, George, really good guys. They'll think two moves ahead. Great guys will think three moves ahead. I want you to think five moves ahead. Wow. And like that kind of like that, that kind of stuff makes you it translates into life. It translates into like, okay, that not only is that true for wrestling, but that's true for thinking. That's true for conversations. It's true for talking. I'm if I'm looking at somebody, 
I'm going to think, okay, they're going to say this. I'm going to say that. And I, I do it all the time. I talk to myself. I'll have discussions with somebody that's not even here and I'll do it for like 30 minutes. If I'm going to go yes. into a meeting, then I'll just pretend I'm talking to somebody and like, they'll say that I'll say this, you know, and another, I think I probably wrestled almost, I probably wrestled over a thousand times, you know, cause I would go every Saturday. And I, I think that there's something that happens when you're physically, you know, it, it's, it's a fight, but it's not, it's a sanctioned fight. So, you know, you're pulling arms, you're getting in people's faces. I think you start to understand body language and they, in fighting, they call it telegraphing. Like if a guy, sometimes a guy would shoot to the right twice before he'd shoot on you. So you would know his tell kind of like poker. People have a tell. And I think when you wrestle a lot or when you fight a lot, the physical contact, once you become unafraid of it, you begin to embrace it in a way. And you're like, Oh, I see what this guy's doing. I can tell by the way this guy stands that he's scared. I can tell by the way that this guy is leaning into me that he's wants to fight. I, you know, you, you start to see all these tells in people. Mm. And I think that like, that, that's one of the things I tell my dad all the time is even though I hated him sometimes, even though I didn't want to wrestle and I cried like a baby, I'm so thankful that he forced me to do it. And he's like, yeah, I know. <laughs> so yeah, I know. Those it's, same tells come through in language too. They do. Yeah, they, they do. do. Wrestling think- is fighting is a language, you know? The same way you would come with like a with like a combination. If I'm gonna jab, jab, left hook, the same way I set you up in language. Like I ask you two questions and I already know the answer. You know, language well, watched, is a battle. I watched a language battle just happened before us right now. Um, yeah. Anyways, <laughs> moving on. I think something that's interesting about how um, when we think about the future generation and we're like, oh, the future, like this generation, right? And hearing this, we've been talking about it, right? Like. How do we not raise? And I think of this a lot. Like, that's my response. That's on me. If the next generation is soft, that's on me. I didn't show up for them. And I think about it with my boys. Like, if my boys are are going to show up, quote unquote, soft in this world, that's on me. That's bad parenting. That's not society. That's not devices. That's that's victimhood mentality. That's like again, starting where we started this conversation of like so much coming at us that we don't get to like really make a choice. Like if I want to like ensure the next generation is going to be understanding their masculinity, that's on me to teach my boys. And if they don't get it, that's my fault. Yeah. Yeah. I I think, I think that's all of us right now. I think that especially now, like I, I think that there has been a lack of masculinity. Like we talked about in the beginning of the conversation and then that's, like even from, I think that this conversation has been fantastic in the words of masculinity. I think that people could listen to this and they could agree with one person or agree with the other person. But I think that they're going to see masculinity in this conversation. I think that the way that Paul and Scott talked to each other was a very masculine way to talk to each other. There's a lot of aggression in there. And there was a lot of, of ch- chatting back and forth. And I, I think that that is a great representation of masculinity. Like sometimes, yeah. sometimes conversations end up talking shit sometimes conversations end up fighting but like that's masculinity and i guarantee you paul's lost no respect i guarantee you scott's lost no respect you know i like that's what men do we might not agree we're gonna talk some shit might end up in a fight it might not but that's what men do you know what i mean i think it's a great example well i mean i think it just it's conversations like that that just digress where i i actually feel the opposite man that you start to lose your masculinity in Mm. those situations where you you know, where it's like you start to take on womanly behaviors, man. You know, like you, like you should be able to 
you know, express yourself, right? Sure, and, yes. And not be like, you know, like, okay, like, like somebody, somebody's going to lose their shit so much that, you know, they're going to call you out, like, you know, let's fight type of thing. That's a person who's frustrated right there, right? Like, that's what happens. You frustrate people. I believe, you know, they, they begin to lose their masculinity. They, believe, they, they begin to lose their cool. And so they fall back onto the primitive. Mm. Like I always, I tell my son, right? I'm like, I was like, the weakest ones are the ones that do all the talking. The weakest ones are the ones that are always telling you how strong they are. Those are the weakest ones. The scariest person is the guy you never see coming, man. That's right. The, I, I that, agree. Yeah. Yeah. I've, you don't even, they're the, the, the quiet person that, like you don't know what they're thinking, but they're a fucking psycho inside. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I've seen a few of those in my life. They're rare, but they're out there, man. And those are, I mean, and I guess it gets back to the strong, silent type, right? Like that used well, to be I mean, something in the greatest generation. It's not like, I don't know. It's not really much the strong, silent type, right? Although those, those people do exist. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's, it's the fear-based ones that that like really get to me you, you know and, that, and, yeah and like they take their fears and they turn them into like a perception of masculinity right like people and you you see that in people that are you know that are insecure you see that and it's like you know like i'm listening to you guys i don't have any experience with bullying i was never bullied and so like it was real fascinating to hear like these stories, like here's the preface to the conversation, ready? I'm gonna tell you about masculinity, but first I need to express how I was bullied, right? Right. And then so I think there's like, you know, some of that could be, you know, like what's born of that could be like this, like hyper-masculine, like perception, like I need to project this type of imagery so I'm never bullied again. Right. Of course, of course. That's the and that's that. Yeah. Yeah, and then there's the you know then there's the like, hey, I can really I've come to grips with the fact that I was bullied, and then I know how to deal with it, you know, in a in a mature masculine way, right? Like, it's not going to drive me. You know what I mean? Like, I control it. It's not, it's not driving me. Well, I think sometimes. Um... You know, there's something about the the stability, and again, coming back to a theme of our masculinity, whether it's consistency or stability, but stability um, has a posture of not being able to be offended. Mm. And bullying is built on the premise of offending, of hurting. And the masculine, I feel like the invitation is like, you can't, you cannot offend me. Because what that, that, that means you have power over me. That means you could say something that yeah. I would take offense to. You can't, and, and I think that's part of the, the path into the masculine is getting to that place of like, yeah, you can't, you can't offend me. Um, this, now, is there things that could be done that are vulgar or you know, might be offensive? Sure, like, but that's you, that's your action. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be offended by that. That, that means I'm coming down to your plane. I'm not going to play that. So the way to get past bullying is to choose to not give it the energy or to be offended by it, you know, or, you know, does that make sense? 
Yeah. 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 I do. I, I think another addition to that, like those are learned behaviors. And when we look at the way people end up thinking about masculinity, it starts with the foundation, right? And if your foundation comes from overcoming a bully or being bullied or not being bullied, you're going to, you, you may end up on a different side of the mountain, if that kind of makes sense. Like if, if you were taught like, okay, this is how you deal with this. Then you build on that success. You know what I mean? So when Paul was saying you can end up having a hyper masculinity or even Jason, when you were saying a bully can become a bully, like you could see how that foundation could be built. Like, okay, I had this success here. That means if I continue to do this, I should have the same kind of successes. Yeah. But ultimately I think that, you know, it's, it's a lot, it's hard. Masculinity is a very difficult for a man to understand. Like it doesn't come with a rule book. There's no instruction sheet and each individual man is given a certain set of tools and you have to carve out what masculinity means for you. And I, it's hard to do. It's, it's in each man is, you know, probably trying to do their best at what they think masculinity is or maybe they weren't given the tools or maybe they have carved out what they thought it is. And you know, that, that, that's what leads men to fight sometimes is this idea that my masculinity is different than your masculinity and mine's greater than yours, you know, and in some ways it devolves into the ego maybe. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Very much so. part of it. But well, I, I really, think, yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting about the journey also of like the man is finding, like going out and finding the tools that will serve you in your masculinity, right? And that's what I think we're all called to is like, all right, does this tool help me, right? So wrestling, right? It served you in a beautiful way. So it was a beautiful tool for your masculinity. And then it shifted in your, you know, energy or whatever. Like, and then we go do, you know, we go learn tools from, wisdom thinkers and and they give us different tools and some of them work for us and some of us don't but like uh, that's the 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 man is a is also the learner right and and the man is also working his mind and he's he's practicing and he's thinking and he's contemplative and he's you know has a posture of learning i think is a is a key piece to masculinity as well yeah yeah, yeah i agree with that I think one, like as I've gotten older, like when I, when I look at masculinity, like I, I see myself, I try to, I try to see myself in every other man because I mean, we're all men, right? When you think of mankind, like it's, we're all man. And I think if you're honest with yourself, you can look at another man and at least recognize yourself in that man. And when you do that, it's very difficult to be upset with that other person. If you can understand yourself in that person, does that kind of make sense? Like I can look at myself and see, I can see myself in every one of you guys, you know, like, Oh yeah, I recognize that. I see what you're saying. Like I, I get that, you know, and like, that's me recognizing myself in the other. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a big part of being a man is being able to do that because there's been a lot of times where I have met other guys and be like, I fucking hate that guy. That guy's a piece of shit. And then I have to, I have to step back and be like, why? Why do I do that? Well, I hate him because he's weak. This happened to me at my work. I'll tell you a story. I was a guy at my work. He was the nicest guy in the world. But I, I just, he was so weak. I fucking hated him. And like, 
I was I would find my I didn't know this until I, I was just always mean to him. He would come up and say stuff, and I'd be like, I'd say something kind of like like we were talking shit, but it was kind of mean. But I thought I was just talking shit. And then like someone pulled me aside. I was like, dude, why are you always an you're a dick, George? Why are you talk shit to that guy like that? And I'm like, what? I'm we're just that's what guys do. And he's like, no, that's not what guys do, man. Like you're being a dick. And then I had to, I had to like be honest with myself. And I I went I I went home that day and I started thinking like, yeah. I am being a what the fuck is wrong with me? Why would I do that? And then, like I, I took a long hard look at like why was I doing that? Because it started really bothering me. And I go and I came to the conclusion that guy's weak. And, and then I'm like, so what? So what if that guy's weak? And then I went, I'm weak. Yeah. And that guy reminds me that I'm weak. And so rather than me working on me, I'm gonna take it out on him. And I really like that really affected me. And I, I pull I, I pulled that guy aside. And his name was Rod. I go, hey, Rod, I've been an asshole to you, man. And I just wanted to fucking tell you I'm sorry. Like, I, I'm being a dick. And I didn't – I got no excuses, man. I, I'm I'm, I'm weak, man. I'm sorry for being a dick to you. And that guy, dude, he's like, hey, no problem, George. And at that moment, I'm like, that guy was a million times more masculine than me. And he, maybe he still is. But it takes a while to get there. Like, it takes – it takes when you, when you see somebody else like that, at least in my yeah. situation, you have to be honest. You know, it's tough. That story right there is kind of like, that's kind of what I've been alluding to all night. You know, like the perception of masculinity, right? Like, you know, that embodies it right there. Like you apologize to this guy and he's just like, yeah, yeah whatever. It's cool. You know? Yep. And he's probably looking at you going, God, man, I got to stop treating George like a retard. <laughs> yeah totally dude totally and, and like I gotta... you know, maybe i should really start concentrating on myself because you know what i'm a fucking dipshit too well and the the other pieces that i love about this is like also the need of having other men in our lives that call us on our shit right <laughs> like part of being part of that masculine energy is being able to hear that message like dude check yourself like we need that. We need other men around us to be like, "Hey, you're being a dick," and go figure that out. Totally, totally, <laughs> right? totally. And that's a powerful, and that's that takes courage. And again, that to me is like that's uh, someone else that was comfortable in their masculinity to call you out. And you reach, you know, going back to where we were earlier, like, why don't more men tell their bosses, like, dude, that's a fucking dumb idea. <laughs> and if you go down that path, these are the three reasons why it's gonna suck. Yes. And if we started doing that and bosses were able to actually be like, all right, let's have that conversation. What do you mean? Why am I off here? Check me. Instead of having to be the fucking alpha male who's right all the time. Yeah. Right. You don't bosses. You don't have to be right all the time. Fucking use the men, the smart dudes that are around you and create enough space for them to be like, you're being a fucking dick with this idea. You're wrong. Yeah. That's business. We need that. We need men that are able to have those conversations. And when when you can have that in a business, fuck, like you're you're doing business a different way. And I hope right. we see more of that. Like that's part of what I hope for men is like you can show up and you don't have to play the like the game anymore. You know, like oh, well, my ideas don't hurt. Like tell your boss, have that conversation. Yeah, yeah and I think that that is where. Much like we see all the time, like emotions can run hot, especially if what I, I've learned this journey to like I've been fired a lot of times and I've found myself 
in offices and like having discussions and losing so many arguments, like just like, just like wrestling or just like anything in life in the beginning, you suck and you lose, but if you keep going, you get better. And my evolution of language has come from me being in trouble. Like, you know, for example, like I have, I used to go into the office and people would say, you know what, George, we don't think you're really working hard enough. We want you to work faster. And then they would show me the sheet of numbers. And it was like, you know, it was all these arbitrary numbers. And it was like, it was just, it's a tactic to get people to, to get you to work faster. And it took me a long time to realize, like, I can't yell and call them names. Like that's an ad hominem attack that doesn't do anything. But you know, what I can do is I can point out the flaws in their thinking. And in the very beginning, when you're in a situation, and if it's an enclosed room and there's another man over there or two men, you know, the situation, a lot of situations are put there in front of you as a man to intimidate you. And it's very difficult to get through intimidation, especially when something's set up to intimidate you. And if you go into a locked room with two other guys that have more seniority and that can say, we're going to take this away from you. And by take this, I mean your job. So now you have to get comfortable in your own skin and with your own ideas to be like, listen, you guys are, I, I'm thankful that you're here. I appreciate it. Let me tell you why you guys are wrong. The numbers you're trying to use are not a, a, a formula that works. Like you're not, you're not measuring all the variables in this equation. And that's why the numbers look wrong to you. And then they just sit there and look at you like, what? Yeah. The ver like, let me show me this matrix you guys are using. You're not counting all the variables. So you're not going to get the right answer. If you guys want to do it the right way, I can show you how to do it. But the right way is not you sitting in here yelling at me because I am right and you are wrong. And I can prove that because I can go out and do it and you can't, you know, and it, when as a man, you can get to the point where you can express your ideas and you're not going to get rid of the emotion, but you can, you can tamp it down a lot. And when you can do that, that becomes the masculine. Too often as a young man, I thought the masculine was yelling. I thought the masculine was getting mad. I thought the masculine was fighting. But the true masculine is being able to, I think it was Sun Tzu who said, the most effect, efficacious form of war is to never throw a punch or fire a gun. Like that, that's the best warrior, someone who never has to get in a fight. That like, was. The, was that Sun Tzu? Yep. Yeah, it's interesting to think about. But well, I think it's, it's hey, interesting. George, George. Yeah. Your friend God is asking many times to be unmuted. <laughs> Scott, I love you to death, my friend. But dude, I feel like you're drinking, man. And I don't see it. This I don't see this goes anywhere. So I hit you up tomorrow, my friend. I love you. Go ahead, Jason. Hmm. Sorry, I lost my thought there when oh. I was headed. Um, hmm. Well, maybe that's a good spot to leave it, man. It's it's almost it's midnight over here. Sun's gonna be coming up where you are pretty soon, Jason. <laughs> I was gonna say it's well into the dark. Three a.m. Yeah. yeah. Awesome, man. Yeah. Colorado. Yeah tap the rockies it's freezing yeah. outside i'm jealous that you can like i was hearing the rain in the background and i was getting jealous <laughs> that's me that's my house bro it's freaking it's yep. been it's been pouring out here for like weeks wow we're nice. in single digits right now oh temperature 
Yeah, it's like 75 right now, I think. Raining. All right, guys. I'm going to turn in, man. I'm exhausted, man. But I'll talk to you guys uh, soon, I'm sure. Yeah. All right, ladies Good and times. gentlemen. Thank you for the True Life Podcast. I love you guys. We'll do it again soon. Aloha.
Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge, and I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now, and it's been so rewarding to me that I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.